Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. So you may have noticed as the society degrades and no one answers your 911 call that some people are getting away with murder literally while others are being sent to solitary for trespassing. Nowhere is that more obvious in the way that federal judges have treated January 6th protesters. We'll tell you what prosecutors are recommending and what it means next. So on Tuesday, three days ago, a 53-year-old hair salon owner from Indiana called Donna Sue Bissey was sentenced in a federal courthouse in Washington. As the day began, it seemed pretty obvious that Donna Bissey was not going to go to prison. Even Joe Biden's Justice Department had recommended probation. That's because the crime she was accused of committing was not serious by any measure. The crime was, quote, parading, demonstrating, or picketing in a Capitol building. That would be on January 6th. Donna Bissey did not set fire to any property. She didn't attack police officers. She didn't hurt anybody. She paraded, as she thought was her right as an American. Then the sentencing began, and very quickly became clear that Donna Bissey would not be going home to her family and her hair salon. Again, that's not because of anything she did on January 6th. It's because of what she believes. A DOJ prosecutor, a fascist called Joshua Rothstein, labeled Donna Bissey a, quote, avid consumer of conspiracy theories, including that COVID is a, quote, hoax pandemic. Apparently, according to this prosecutor, you're not allowed to believe that. Believing that is a crime. It's a thought crime, and you can go to jail for it. Keep in mind, again, this was ostensibly a trial about what happened on January 6th, the physical facts of that day. The judge also heard that Donna Bissey is not vaccinated against COVID-19, and of course, that's a crime, too. It's a thought crime. She needs to go to jail. And so she is. Now, you remember last year, the government released thousands of inmates telling us it was to protect them from the coronavirus. But no such sympathy was extended to Donna Bissey of the hair salon in Indiana. Quote, it's one thing to believe in conspiracy theories in your basement, the fascist prosecutor said. It's another thing to act out on them. Really? He's a shrink now, too. In the end, the judge overruled the prosecutor's recommendation of probation and sent Donna Bissey to prison for the crime of, quote, parading in the Capitol building and for disputing the official narrative on COVID. That's now a crime, and Donna Bissey's life is now ruined. She's in jail. What's interesting is that just a few months ago, Donna Bissey's friend, a woman called Anna Morgan Lloyd, was sentenced to probation for the exact same offense. That would be parading in the Capitol. So why the difference now? Well, here's the difference. Unlike her friend, Donna Bissey appeared before a judge called Tanya Chutkin. Tanya Chutkin donated many thousands of dollars to PACs supporting Barack Obama, and then Barack Obama, in exchange, appointed her to the federal bench in 2014, where she has been a disgrace ever since, a real disgrace. In the last few months, 
Chutkin has repeatedly overruled prosecutors to impose long prison sentences on January 6th defendants. That would include Robert Bauer of Kentucky, Edward Hemingway of Virginia, Matthew Mazzocco of Texas. And Tanya Chutkin is not the only run running political show trials in our formerly free country, the one in which you were guaranteed equal treatment under the law but no longer receive it. There's another Barack Obama appointee, Beryl Howell, who's repeatedly overruled prosecutors to punish January 6th defendants far more harshly than even the DOJ asks for. Now, this is unequal justice by any measure. It contradicts the central principle of our legal system and our country, which is we're all citizens and all of us stand equal before the law. It's not about what you believe, it's about what you do. It has nothing to do with who you vote for, nothing to do with who you listen to on the radio or watch on television. It has to do with whether you violate law. But that's no longer what it has to do with. You should know that none of the Code Pink protesters who stormed Senate buildings during the Kavanaugh hearings wound up in jail. Of course not. They weren't tossed in solitary confinement. Neither were the self-described environmentalists who just raided a federal building in Washington. This is footage from yesterday at the Department of the Interior. Watch. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the single worst attack on our democracy since 9-11, Pearl Harbor, and the Civil War. Oh, no, it's not. We're not liars. It is what it is. You just saw it. Go inside. Go inside, chant the rioters. They're on video trying to push through a police barrier. So by the standards now set by the behavior on January 6th, that is an insurrection against the government. So how did our government respond to what you just saw? Well, the Department of the Interior under Joe Biden just issued a statement that refused to condemn it or the rioters. We're quoting directly. The Interior Department leadership believes strongly in respecting and upholding the right to free speech and peaceful protest, end quote. Oh, so they're not insurrectionists. They're peaceful protesters because they voted for Joe Biden. This is what happens when law enforcement becomes partisan. This is the nightmare scenario. This is the country you don't want to live in. This is the country that judges you on the basis of who you vote for and will put you in jail if you vote the wrong way. This is not a defense of any criminal conduct that occurred on January 6th. But the events of that day, keep in mind, were an organized demonstration against the unequal enforcement of law in this country for the past four years. And that's exactly what we have seen, period. That's not a partisan point. That's true. And anyone who's awake knows it's true. And yet instead of heeding the call, wait, people are upset. What are they upset about? Maybe we should fix the disparity. Our leaders doubled down on unequal treatment under the law, which is what they're doling out in even bigger helpings at this point. So criminals with the right politics suffer no consequences. In some cases, those criminals are put in charge of enforcing the law themselves. Here's one example. The former deputy FBI director, Andy McCabe. McCabe admitted lying to federal investigators. That's a felony, by the way, unlike parading in the Capitol. But Andy McCabe was never hauled off to jail, never lectured about his vaccine status by some lunatic prosecutor. In fact, Andy McCabe just got his federal pension back and he's bragging about it on television. To have a settlement of this lawsuit and one that so clearly indicates this should never have happened, um, it, it is both an incredible relief, it's, it's satisfying, but it's also 
You know, it's also kind of sad. I mean, like, this should never have happened. My family should never have had to go through this. This is the current Department of Justice standing up for fairness. What? You're the country's second in line in our biggest law enforcement agency, and you've admitted committing a felony, and all that happened to you was that you lost your padded federal benefits, and you say that was unfair? And you're still whining about him even after you got it back? Are you the same Andy McCabe who destroyed Mike Flynn's life and bankrupted him, tried to send him to prison on a charge of lying to federal investigators? Yes. That charge was, in fact, engineered by Andy McCabe for the sole purpose of getting rid of Michael Flynn at the behest of Barack Obama and his cronies. And we're not speculating about this because FBI documents prove it. On those documents, it's literally written, get him to lie. Get him to lie. Andy McCabe was never punished for that. He still has a seat waiting for him on CNN. And when Andy McCabe lied to investigators about leaking to the media, was he charged? No, that wasn't parading in Congress. Now he gets his pension back and he's celebrated on national television. Why is that? Because Andy McCabe is on the right side. He's a member of the national security state, which the left now venerates because the national security state is on their side. The FBI can label political dissidents domestic terrorists, which justifies killing them. And everyone applauds when they die. So Ashley Babbitt hurt not a single person on January 6th. She was unarmed. And yet watch this as Andy McCabe's defenders justify shooting her because the FBI says she was somehow a threat to national security. Ashley Babbitt, who is a trained Air Force specialist, trained by our tax dollars to kill. She was a military member. If she'd gotten through that door, God knows what kind of harm she could have done. His supporters who attack the Capitol are terrorists. It's two plus two equals four stuff. Like Ashley Babbitt, all those who attacked the Capitol are terrorists because the FBI director has said it was an act of terrorism. Ashley Babbitt is the woman that was leading the mob that was about to storm uh, the House floor, uh, and she was shot by a brave officer who was the last line of defense for many members of Congress. And many of these members were the slowest, least mobile members because they were having the hardest time getting out. If they had been overrun by that mob, uh, people would have been killed. Yeah. So you watch that and you get frustrated and then you're reminded these people are so stupid, it's amazing they can breathe unaided. And that is some comfort. They just told you that Ashley Babbitt was trained by the Air Force to kill people. <laughs> really? A lot of people in the Air Force trained to kill people? She was a threat to their safety. She was like 5'2 and totally unarmed. She was not warned, by the way, before she was shot to death. We've never seen the results of that investigation. We know the man who shot her was completely reckless. He left a loaded firearm in a men's room in the Capitol. He wasn't fired for that for some reason. No one in the federal government's ever fired. So that's clearly over the line in a functional country. But then to see those ghouls gloating about the death of an unarmed woman, <laughs> how would they treat you? So they're telling you that for the crime of parading in the Capitol building, Ashley Babbitt deserved to be executed. And the same time they're telling you that, they're ignoring other crimes, ones committed with people by who are actually armed. An 18-year-old who opened fire in his classroom in Texas shot several people, got out of jail in a single day. He told us he was bullied, yet another victim of white supremacy, and he got a pass. And that's fine. Hunter Biden got a pass. His firearm winds up in a trash bin behind a grocery store and then disappears. Threat public safety, anyone? No, not according to our government. The feds didn't care about his gun and said the Secret Service showed up, which was not working for him at the time went to the gun store to shred the paperwork showing that Hunter Biden committed a felony by lying on a federal gun form when he acquired the gun. 
So if you're the president's son, you can commit a federal gun felony and nobody cares. The worst they'll do is invite you on their shows and let you explain it away in a sentence. Why did you have a gun? Well, I did, again, you know, the period of my life that um, was difficult. It was, um, but, you know, I, I don't know. According to the reporting, at one point, the Secret Service went looking for the record of sale. Do you know anything about that? Nothing. No. But you know about the Secret Service being involved? In no, that? I had no idea. I, I don't know whether the Secret Service were or what, why they would be, or I don't think that that's true. <laughs> right. It's not on your laptop or anything. So you commit a gun felony, you lie about it in the laziest possible way, and no one really cares. But if you dare to criticize the incompetent bureaucrats leading, say, our military, as to Scheller did, they send you to prison. If you try to visit your sick daughter in the hospital, you get arrested. I told them that I wasn't going to leave my daughter's side. She had taken a turn for the worse. And I wanted to stay, and I told them that I wasn't leaving. She said, the nurse said she'd have to call security. I said, do whatever you have to do, but I'm not leaving my daughter's side. Good for you. Good for so, you. I wish more Americans you. would take that position. Really, thank you for doing that. And But they handcuffed you? Yes. They handcuffed me behind my back and led me out to the cruiser where I sat for three hours with my hands cuffed behind my back. What was your what was your crime? Were you spreading COVID to people? I mean, like, what did you do wrong exactly? Uh, stayed past seven o'clock. Oh, handcuffing a grandmother because she stayed past seven o'clock, shooting an unarmed woman in the neck without warning her because he didn't like what she was saying. But if you torch a federal courthouse in Portland, no problem. If you show up at a school board meeting and object to your 14 year old daughter being raped in a bathroom, that's when you get thrown to the ground and taken to jail. And I tried to tell the lady what had happened to my daughter, and she looked me dead in the face and said, that's not what happened. And that just struck me, like, how do you know what happened? You don't even know me. And she started in on me again and threatened my family business, my livelihood, everything that, you know, gives my family what we need. She threatened to ruin my business on social media. The next thing I know, I'm getting touched from all over the place. I didn't know who was touching me, who was grabbing me. I turn around, the police are grabbing me, and next thing I know, I'm tackled to the ground. We could go on and on. We could spend all night giving you example after example. Here's the bottom line. They're not for defunding the police, and we apologize for ever suggesting they were. They're for repurposing the police. They're not against the use of force. They embrace the use of force as long as it's against their political opponents. They're for letting criminals off the hook and redefining people who oppose the regime as criminals, the only ones who get punished. What form of government is this? It's not democracy. It's anarcho-tyranny. It is selective punishment even as they ignore the rule of law. And this is a threat to the very center of the American idea, which is equality under the law. Everyone treated the same by the justice system. Right now, you can loot a target in Minneapolis, you can burn a Wendy's and face no consequences, but try to defend your own property like the McCloskeys, try to exercise your constitutional right to state your views about the last election, and you go to jail. That's true. This has been a crazy three months, but Basically, my daughter was sexually assaulted at the end of school 
in May of last year, and um, you know, I went to the school board meeting, you know, to see what was going on because I, I had seen all this crazy stuff on TV. And I went to see what was going on after my daughter had been assaulted. And, um, you know, there was some crazy stuff being talked about, you know, uh, uh, you know, people for things, for against things. I wasn't there for, you know, I'm good with gay people, cross-gender people, everybody, anybody who wants to be a good American, I'm good with. I went there to find out why our children weren't safe. We were under the impression from the prosecutor that this sexual predator was being held on in-house arrest with an ankle monitor and would not return to school until these court sessions were done. That if I wanted justice for my daughter, that I needed to keep my mouth quiet and not speak out because in order to get justice for my daughter, which is the most important thing to me, of course, was to not come out and let justice prevail. That's really scary, you know, that our government is gonna weaponize theirself against parents and, and, and they're using my video across the nation to spread fear. Wrong. I'm not a bully. I'm not a racist. I love everyone. I love this country. All right. And Scott. I want better. Our NBC News exclusive. The new report in our series on a Texas school district at the center of a firestorm over diversity and inclusion efforts. Now secretly recorded comments from a top administrator about books on the Holocaust are sparking new outrage. Antonia Hilton takes us back to Southlake. Wes Frierson, a parent of two daughters in Southlake, is uncertain about his kids' education. With some of the local politics right now, I'm not sure that teachers feel supported. The district already in the spotlight after parents clashed over its diversity plan, now facing new pushback over which books are allowed in their libraries, with some teachers placing caution tape over bookshelves, calling the move censorship. It all started when a fourth grade teacher was reprimanded after a parent complained about her having a book about anti-racism. I couldn't believe it. She's the kind of teacher that we would hope the district would be trying to attract. The district sent educators new guidance to vet all books, instructing them to not allow singular perspectives that could be considered offensive. This coming after Texas passed a law banning the teaching of concepts that could make individuals feel guilt or anguish due to their race. NBC News obtained exclusive secretly recorded audio of a school training. We are in the middle of a political mess. The director of curriculum, Gina Petty, offers an example for teachers. Balance books about the Holocaust with an opposing view. Make sure that if, if, if you have a book on the Holocaust, that you have one that has opposing, that has other... How do you oppose the Holocaust? Gina Petty did not respond to messages requesting comment. I met with two concerned teachers in Southlake. We obscured their identities because they feared speaking out could cost them their jobs. I was in such shock when I heard these words. We felt this was necessary because we felt like no one was going to listen until a teacher spoke up. And it's not just in Southlake. Across the country, educators are facing new policies restricting how they can educate students about race, from Tennessee to Pennsylvania. 
South Lake School District told NBC News they were helping teachers comply with Texas law, and the district has not and will not mandate books be removed. The district says that they have not told teachers to ban books, to completely shut down libraries. What are you seeing? That's a lie. It is a flat-out lie. Like, there are, how could you even make that statement? What do you think is at stake here? In books, children see what the world can be, and to have that taken away because we're afraid of a few parents getting upset about a word or two or an idea that they've imagined is in a book is unthinkable. Wes Frierson says his daughters see what's happening. Unfortunately, for kids of the age of mine, I think the, the last, uh, as they become aware of the world, I think they just see the world as very highly politicized. But parents hope that politics find a way out of public. Play that uh, exchange, what the president just said on this very, very sensitive issue. Let's listen. He defied congressional subpoenas on the January 6th committee. I hope that the committee goes after them and uh, holds them accountable. Should they be prosecuted by the I, Justice I do, Department? yes. Ryan Nobles is joining us from Capitol Hill as well. Uh, uh, Caitlin, stand by for a moment. Uh, Ryan, uh, so, so the president is now weighing in on this. Uh, what's the likely reaction? Well, well, this is pretty significant for the president to weigh in on this level. And welcome back to Flyover Politics Podcast. It is the 16th of October, year of our Lord, 2021. And I know that's a long intro, but I decided just to go deep and start the show off because this week it's been hard to wait to this day to podcast. Now I want you to go back to the beginning of CRT and in Loudoun County, a white guy, as you saw in the intro, literally became the face of white supremacy and how parents didn't want their kids to learn about the real history of the evils of America. And then we find out that it was all a lie. Like everything we run into, it's a lie. His daughter was raped by a transgender dude who was actually bisexual, who wore a skirt, and who has assaulted three women and their actual charges. But Loudoun County, who doesn't have to give up the details of the kid who does it, but does have to report it, buried it so when he came to that school board to speak they were out to arrest him and not let him speak because they wanted the transgender school the bathroom thing to go through but of course this fed the fire of people who are against it because there is always sexual harassment rape or something that goes along with dudes and dresses who say they're girls but they want to use the girls bathroom and it was all suppressed. Huge story by the Daily Wire. I could play the Ben Shapiro portion, but it's huge. The man who found himself splashed across TV screens and newspaper pages being dragged from Loudoun County School Board meeting with bloody lip and handcuffs on Tuesday was found guilty of disorderly conduct or resisting arrest. Scott Smith was dragged to the ground by county deputies as tempers flare in a June 22nd school board meeting egged on by protesters against the new state-mandated protection for transgender. According to testimony on August 17th, Smith was arrested during a girl argument with a woman for whose daughter Smith's wife had been a Girl Scout leader. Deputies dragged him to the ground, then outside where he continued to struggle and argued. The reality is, 
A boy allegedly wearing a skirt entered a girl's bathroom in nearby Stonebridge High School where he sexually assaulted Smith's ninth grade daughter. And it wasn't the first time. LCPS bizarre infuriating statement on alleged sexual assaults. The new statement from Loudoun County Public Affairs School on the two alleged assaults. Let me read it. Loudoun County Public Schools aware of a media and social media reports concerning alleged sexual assaults at two of our high school campuses. While LCPS takes students' privacy seriously, cannot reveal details concerning the actions of a specified student, we do not want to clarify our investigation process. Principals are legally required to report a local law enforcement under this code. The process falls respect to all allegations. Loudoun County Sheriff was contacted within minutes of receiving the initial report on May 28th. Once a matter has been reported to law enforcement, LCPS does not begin its investigation until law enforcement advises LCPS. Furthermore, LCPS is prohibited from disciplining any student without following the Title IX grievances process. School board members are typically not given details of disciplinary matters. The board may be obligated to consider blah, 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 blah. We don't give a fuck this girl got raped. We don't care. Sometimes when you have to get progress, there are some broken eggs. It just happens. Suck it up, buttercup. In June, LCPS lectured the public for worrying about a red herring, saying the district had zero bathroom assaults on record, and quietly transfers the boy charged in May 20 assault to a new school. October 6th, he was arrested for a new sexual assault. That's why I played it up front. That was huge. Washington Post finds loud and rapes, ignores school board cuddle-up, cover-up a trans bathroom policy. And then you saw the Tucker, which is why I played it up front. We're now throwing people in jail because they're COVID conspirators while parading in the Capitol. That's what judges are doing. They're not covering it. You're not hearing about it because they just want the lie of armed insurrection. Multiple stories this week, armed insurrection. What weapons? There is no armed insurrection. None. But we had this this week.
That seems a little insurrectiony. They broke into a federal building. But this isn't the first time they did it during Kavanaugh. They do it all the time. They break into federal buildings and there's no things. They actually literally, the DOJ said we were not infringe on free speech and peaceful protest. So that's a peaceful protest. But January 6th, Ashley Babbitt unarmed climbing through a window. We just witnessed a woman doing that, not getting warned and shot in the face. That's that's not. More than 100 climate protesters marched Thursday to the Department of Interior with dozens entering the building and holding a sit-in. That seems a bit insurrection-y. It's like 9-11 all over again. So insurrection-y. Is Representative AOC okay? Are we going to arrest these insurgents? No. No, we're not. That's why I played Tucker up front. And then you get the release of Molly Hemingway's book. Yes, in my new book, Rigged, I tell the story of how Mark Zuckerberg, who's one of the world's most powerful and wealthy men, funded the takeover of government election offices uh, that are in charge of voter registration, voting, and vote counting. He spent nearly half a billion dollars giving it to two left-wing groups that gave the money to governmental election offices, predominantly in Democrat cities in key swing states. And with those funds, they did targeted uh, Democrat voter outreach, designing ballots, translating ballots, and staffing the operations that handled uh, ballot harvesting, the curing of ballots, and the counting of ballots. And to be clear, this is not campaign spending. This was a concierge-level get-out-the-vote operation on behalf of Joe Biden and other Democrats in key Democrat areas in swing states. This is something that had never happened before, and this was done inside the election administration, not outside where billionaires normally spend their money. Well, how are billionaires allowed to run our elections? I mean, as if they don't have enough power over our society. Well, what's so amazing is, as Governor DeSantis noted, they had to make it illegal this year. It wasn't illegal when it was done because nobody ever imagined that tech oligarchs could control democracy by embedding left-wing activists into the election system. Even in states where people pay a lot of attention to this, like Wisconsin, they didn't even know really what was going on. And because they claimed these were nonpartisan, they didn't realize until it was too late that Democrat counties were getting the vast outside portion of the votes and that it really made a difference in the final vote totals. Well, I wish the campaign that was running against Biden would have said more about this at the time. I mean, this seems like a massive scandal to me. It's a massive scandal, but it actually took a while to realize just how targeted this was. This was very smart. It actually, there are people who researched in Texas. They say it gave Joe Biden a net of 200,000 votes. Now, that didn't mean that it made the difference in Texas, but that figure would make the difference in Wisconsin, Georgia, Pennsylvania, and Arizona. So basically, we have private organizations running elections to ensure Democrats can win. That's the story. So when you see the left going after Facebook, that's just all cover. He swung the election. Understand if um, that young group 
uh, what's it called? T uh, Young Conservative Group was running polling stations in any elections. You know about it. Exclusive Berg expert how Facebook and Twitter rigged the game in 2020. In one meeting, Google founder Sergey Bin suggested the Jigsaw, a project Google had developed to combat Islamic terror propaganda, could be used to shape the opinions of Trump voters. By the time Trump was inaugurated, a former Google engineer had told Breitbart reporter Alan Bocardi that activists within the company had formed a working group to brainstorm ways to use Google resource to undermine the Trump administration. Another Google engineer wanted to sabotage Trump's phone, which ran on Google Android operating system, and as well as ban the Gmail accounts of senior Trump administrative officials and employees in the Google advertising department personally referred purchasers of Google ads to the website of Sleeping Giants, an activist group that encouraged boycotts of conservative news. It wasn't better over Facebook, where some employees literally took a week off to grieve. Soon after the election, BuzzFeed was reporting Facebook employees had formed an unofficial task force to question the role their company played in promoting fake news. The group was operating in open defiance of Zuckerberg and said that they weren't getting involved. And it goes on and on, and it all links back to where? Barack Hussein Obama. Another story. Facts about Zuckbucks. How he helped swing the electorate in 2020. The initiative, an organization led by Mark Zuckerberg, wife Priscilla, gave more than $350 million to CTCL in 2020. In 2018, CTCL's budget had been only $1.4. According to the Foundation for Government Accountability, Georgia received more than $31 million in Zuckbucks for general elections alone. The money was not spent on COVID-related issues, for instance. The three counties that received the most Zuckbucks funding, only 1.3% of the funding on personal protective equipment. The rest was spent on salaries, laptops, vehicle rentals, attorney fees to get ready for the election. Trump won Georgia by more than five points in 2016 and lost it by three-tenths of a percentage point in 2020. On average, as a share of the two-party vote, most counties moved Democrat by less than 1%. Democrat counties of Pennsylvania also were targeted. A Biden-winning county over 3.5 times more likely to be funded by CTLC than a Trump-winning county. Trump counties received an average of 0.59 or 59 cents per capita. Philadelphia, the most richly funded Biden county, received $6.32 per capita to get people out to vote. My book rigged. How the media, big tech, and the Democrats seized our election. Rigged is a definitive account of the 2020 election based on Molly Hamoy's exclusive interviews with campaign officials, reporters, Supreme Court justices, and Trump himself. Rewriting history is specifically of the radical left now in control of America's political and cultural heights, but they will have to contend with determination, insight, and eloquence of Molly Hemingway's rigged. Molly explains when you talk about 2020 election, you can't just use technical definitions. Zuckerberg 101, how a media mogul took over the 2020 election and why GOP leaders may never let it happen again. And it breaks it all down. He funded election polls.
That's why you have a federal justice repeatedly sentenced people who stormed the Capitol more than other crimes. Things that don't add up. It's all not adding up because you're not reading it. Three women in Detroit alone were charged with election fraud for stealing votes for Biden. Judd Legum, the sudden interest of school boards is not an organic grassroots movement of angry parents. It's an effort of orchestrated right wing. That's why you hear all these stories. That's why you got hammered by conservative media all week that Camelia Harris used a Canadian company with hired actors to make her look better because they're working forever. And that's why NBC NASCAR did this. So I've noticed an interesting phenomenon online. Everybody keeps saying, let's go, Brandon. And I said, what the hell is going on? <laughs> and it has been traced back to a clip, which has recently come across my radar, which may be one of the funniest things I've ever seen. An NBC reporter um, trying to cover up the fact that a crowd of people at a sporting event are shouting F Joe Biden by saying, look at them, shouting, let's go, Brandon. I swear this is real. You can judge it for yourself. Let's take a listen. Thank you to all of our partners. Oh my God, it's just such an unbelievable moment. Brandon, you also told me, as you can hear the chants from the, the crowd, let's go Brandon. Brandon, you told me you were gonna kind of hang back those first two stages and just watch and learn. What did you learn that helped you there in those closing laps? Oh my God, it was uh, learning how each line didn't, uh, stay to one and everything shifted top to bottom so much all right look <laughs> it's clear as day what the crowd is shouting here i mean i don't know here's the thing i do that's kind so of feel great. for her in that situation i don't really know what you do i mean it is i think it's like that's like network tv so they have standards so they're like do they cut away and so she's like let's go back i don't know where did that even come from like how do you even possibly so try and spin that this dude's name was brandon i believe right? his name is Brandon. by the way i know nothing about nascar whatsoever so you know cars on the table there i have um, no idea even who this guy is i mean um, i'm gonna say it's possible that she actually thought they were saying that because you think so well if you think about it you're standing there you got your earpiece in True. it's yeah. very loud yeah. it's very hard to hear you're trying to hear back like at you know new york or wherever they're based <laughs> and then you're talking to this dude and you hear something in the background i'm gonna stand up for her and say maybe okay. she actually thought that but that doesn't make it any less hilarious no it, i mean <laughs> that is so funny. And so now it has become a sensation on um, on media. I see it in our comment section. I see it in everybody's Let's comment section. Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. And I was like, what is going on with this? I was like, who is Brandon? What's happening? Um, eventually this, after I saw the video, I was like, oh my God, I cannot believe it. As you said, look, maybe she did actually believe it. Maybe she was panicking. She was like, I just, I have to do something. You could say it's enough like Brandon. Um, but yes, Crystal, this is the origin of the Let's Go Brandon meme, which I got to say, in terms of sticking power for memes, I think this one's going to be this around for a solid one. This Very is a solid. solid, solid thing. Let me attempt to make a serious point here, okay. which is, um, remember at the beginning of the Biden presidency, uh, he was hard to demonize. Like, there wasn't energy around hating him. Yep. Uh at CPAC, the speeches weren't really about him. Even Trump. Right, in February. That's right. Yeah, even Trump, like, didn't talk about him that much. Fox News, you know, they, and they still prefer to, you know, they'll drag up 
AOC, AOC. and I, like she and Bernie are really running the show or something like that. Kamala too. But oh yeah, but um, there's definitely starting to be more organic actual hatred towards Joe Biden, not just sort of like oh he's doddering old man and he's irrelevant. And we're afraid of these other things, but actual like hatred and venom directed at him, which you know. Look, it's predictable, and the uh, partisan media machine is very good at generating that those kinds of feelings. But I also think is it's a bad sign for him because we covered some of the poll numbers where he used to be really firmly above water on things like, you know, do you trust him? Do you like him? Is he looking out for people like you? Mm. And now he's underwater in those same character traits, and that was really the thing that he had going for him is he was kind of like inoffensive – Hard to demonize, kind of likable. You kind of gave him the benefit of the doubt, and I think that he's lost a lot of that. Oh, I think that's right. And it's interesting, you know, to that point, I asked our producer James, I was like, where does this come from? And apparently it's an organic thing kind of at SEC games and more. It would make sense. Um, uh, my own hometown in the SEC, so I, I completely understand what's going on there. But oh, you are entering that once you start to get that revulsion of a figure – that's a problem because Biden is not Barack Obama. People really loved Barack Obama. So he was both hated and he was loved. Yeah. People feel fine about Joe Biden. And now people are beginning to hate Joe Biden. I'm not saying it's in the same category as Obama and even Trump. But, and you point this out all the time, I would much rather be those two gentlemen because you have people who would actually come out and vote for you crawl over broken glass. There's not a lot of Biden people like that out there, but there's beginning to become some sort of constituency which is against Biden himself or maybe just the national democratic brand. And you put that together, that's an electoral problem that they're- Yeah, you don't want to be in a situation where your detractors really super hate, hate you. Your guts, right. And your supporters are sort of like, eh, he's okay. And, and I- Kind of think that's the territory that Biden's getting into. I think into that's these right. Days. So let's go, Brandon. Let's go, right. Brandon. <laughs> we'll have more for you guys. There is a reason, in other words, that Joe Biden is the single most popular head of state in American history. And the reason is he's awesome. How beloved is Joe Biden? Well, let's put it this way at sporting events across the country, fans are breaking out in cheers for the White House and its wise and eloquent leader. These are not coordinated political set pieces. AstroTurf, as we say in Washington. No, these are spontaneous eruptions of love. One minute you'll be watching a college football game from the stands. The next minute you'll be overcome with the desire, the pressing irresistible need to tell Joe Biden how great he is. It's like having to go to the bathroom real bad, except better and more progressive. This is happening, ladies and gentlemen, and it's happening everywhere. A cresting tsunami of support for Joe Biden. Here's a sample. inspiring when you think about it. Joe Biden on his first day in office promised to bring this country together and now he's actually doing it. It doesn't matter what team you've showed up to root for. In your heart, you are a Joe Biden fan and that is national unity. Now, not everyone is for this, of course, to Vladimir Putin, who hates us for our freedoms and also because he's Russian. This is a threat. Loving Biden is a thing of beauty. So by definition, Vladimir Putin must destroy it. 
It's like a sunset, a rose garden, a baby's smile. It's something lovely that must be defiled if Russia is going to dominate the world. So in order to corrupt what is good and beautiful, Putin has spread the lie that these expressions of pure devotion to Joe Biden are instead attacks on Joe Biden, vulgar attacks that include an epithet beginning with F. And sadly, a lot of people believe that. Russian disinformation is effective. That's why they do it. So thank heaven NBC has been there to correct that misperception. Over the past several years, NBC has done maybe more than any other news organization in this country to fight the Kremlin's propaganda machine. Thanks to NBC, for example, your doubts about the fairness of the last election have not only been settled, they're now illegal. You're not allowed to express them ever again. So we can be thankful that there was a credentialed representative of NBC Sports on hand earlier this month when fans at a NASCAR event began to celebrate, spontaneously celebrate Joe Biden. If the NBC lady had not been there, you might very well have misheard what the crowd said. Watch. Oh my God, it's such an unbelievable moment. Brandon, you also told me I can hear the chants from the, the crowd. Let's go, Brandon. F please. They own the narrative. They own social media. They own the airwaves. They cover up Biden sexual assault, his China dealings, Hunter, all the crooked shit that's going on. They punish people who don't think like them. You can go kill somebody like an 18-year-old kid in a Texas high school. You're back on the street because you're black. You can storm the Capitol if you're a lefty. You can do it repeatedly. There's no punishment. But if you're conservative, you're going to extra jail time for parading in the Capitol. And to suppress all this so you don't pay attention, here's our media jerk-off. They hate you. Because you're sounding off. I am a politic, the media jerk off of the week.
Joe Rogan just yesterday admitted to taking ivermectin. Ivermectin is something more often used to deworm horses. CNN is saying I'm taking horse dewormer. Rogan telling his 13 million Instagram followers that he was treated with several drugs and he included ivermectin on the list, a drug used for livestock. Rogan said the word ivermectin. Yes, that's the deworming medicine made to kill parasites and farm animals. Why would they lie and say that's horse dewormer? So things are clearly bad, but they're being made even worse by people who have refused to take the vaccine and instead are swallowing horse paste. Wait, 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 wait a second. He, he said that he got better because he ate he said cattle he's been, dewormer. He, they must know that that's a lie. You have individuals like Joe Rogan, for example, who uh, who don't want to take an experimental vaccine, but will take horse dewormer. Well, 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 well if well, it is well. an old horseworm rogan. <laughs> Ivermectin is often used to deworm livestock. Ivermectin apparently given to deworm animals. It's a lie on a news network, it, it, and it's a lie that's a willing, that's, that's a lie that they're conscious of. It's not a mistake. Yeah. They're unfavorably framing it as veterinary medicine. Joe Rogan, uh, he came down with COVID. He says he says he's been taking the uh, livestock dewormer uh, ivermectin. They lied what and they said say? I was taking horse dewormer. Ivermectin is a drug that is commonly used as a horse dewormer. They keep saying I'm taking horse dewormer. I literally got it from a doctor. You know what doctors say? Doctors say you could take it for humans. Yeah, but not for coronavirus. He may not have gotten it from the feed supply store, but it's the same compound. When you have a horse deworming medication that's discouraged by the government, that actually causes some people in this crazed environment we're in to actually want to try it. That's the upside down where we're in with figures like Joe Rogan. Bro, do I have to sue CNN? He also acknowledged taking a controversial treatment designed for animals. Does it bother you that the news network you work for out and out lied, well, just outright lied about me taking horse dewormer. They, they, they shouldn't have said that. Why did they do that? I don't know. And it looks like Yunkin is no different, frankly, right? He might not have been in the room, but these are words that he believes. This is stuff he said in the GOP primary in Virginia. Mr. Yunkin may want to put out a little statement saying, well, that was weird and wrong, but He's now probably got to like coil himself in and wait for their invisible God to, to hit him because he can, even without Twitter, if Trump were to come out and be like, F Yunkin, he would panic because he needs those voters, right? He needs the freak vote. He needs the religion vote. All of these right-wing racist authoritarian wannabes is the establishment of the Republican Party, and Glenn Youngkin is first in line wanting to be a part of them. I don't care what he said in that statement. If you want to put out a real statement that addresses this, then go out there, Glenn, and say, I don't want a single person who applauded when that flag came out. Well, the commission is divided on whether expanding the size of the court would be wise. Many say that they think it would undermine the court's legitimacy and would be seen as a partisan maneuver. This is basically the same criticism that Stephen Breyer had for this idea. But they're more supportive of the idea of 18-year term limits. They say nearly all the states either have term limits or mandatory retirement ages for their judges on their state's highest courts. The U.S. is the world's only major democracy that doesn't have either one of them. Pete, what weight does this commission have? 
Well, in a, in a sense, none at all. These are not formal recommendations, and even if they are, it's going to be up to the president to decide what to do with them. It's This is his commission. These are recommendations to him. And, of course, Congress would probably have to be involved in this no matter what, because even if you have a constitutional amendment, the most likely course of action, the way it's always been done, would be to have Congress propose a constitutional amendment to the states. Now, you can have an amendment by constitutional convention, but that's really very tricky. So, one way or another, it would require some congressional support to make. Well, and, and John Hellman, I mean, David just said he's trying to distance himself from the... He hasn't. He, he has said. I believe Axios reported yeah. that that Youngkin wouldn't say whether he would have voted to certify the election on January sixth if he were a member of Congress. That is part of the slow right. motion insurrection. He is an insurrectionist. So he can distance himself all he wants from the disgusting, abhorrent display of a flag flown over um, a scene that became the you know final resting spot of, a, of police officers and and others. But he himself was for the insurrection. Well, and let's be clear, part of the part of the power of this moment is that the flags that were flown uh, by the insurrectionists, some of those were used to beat police officers and try to kill them. So that makes the that makes that's what the moment's about. And you I'll bet you every dollar in my pocket, Nicole, that Youngkin's attitude was as soon as he heard Bannon and Trump were going to be at this rally. That was where his cannon pin drew the line. They said, okay, we're not going to go. This is what distancing will be. We're not going to say anything bad about Trump. We're not going to renounce the endorsement. We're not going to say that Joe Biden's the legitimate president of the United States. Or the but I'm not going to go to that rally. And they thought that would be enough. And then the flag showed up. And the flag showed up, and the video was there, and people pledging allegiance to a flag. Uh, the flag of the insurrectionists, a flag just like the Joining us now to discuss Tom Nichols, contributing writer for The Atlantic, also author of Our Own Worst Enemy, The Assault from Within on Modern Democracy. Tom, thank you for being with us this morning. Just tell us straight up how serious the threat to American democracy is right now overall. It's very serious. It's ongoing. Uh, it began last year when the the uh, loser of the election, Donald Trump, uh, for the first time in American history, refused to commit to a peaceful transfer of power and still refuses to commit to it. We are in a constitutional crisis. It's not looming. It's not ahead of us. Um, we're smack in the middle of it with an entire political party, an entire political movement that rejects the basic constitutional norms and, and uh, laws that govern our elections. This this is really serious, and what you're seeing is the creation, the setting up of an infrastructure uh, in 2022 uh, to set up for 2024, basically to take the election, uh, whether Donald Trump wins or loses, um, and to falsify the uh, the outcome and to and to undermine faith in our elections, which is really the whole larger project here. You tweeted something that really stood out. You said the threat to American democracy increased exponentially over the past five years or so when mediocre people of meager talents realized they would never have to work a straight job again as long as they could terrify a nation of right-wing nitwits about the end of real America. I mean, is, is that what you think that this came down just to sort of craven self-interest on the part of a mediocre cadre of political operatives and, and bloviators. For some of the people on the right, that's absolutely what's happened. I mean, when Stephanie Grisham wrote her book, she said, like me, you know, 
myself. She said somebody like me was never going to have a chance to go to DC and to go to the show um, without hooking up with somebody like the the Trump campaign. And, and there have been a lot of people who have said, if we just keep people scared, um, we can stay on television and on radio and you know become celebrities in our own right and um, not have to really care about what happens to the rest of the country. Um, at the elected level, what you have is a staggering amount of cowardice and self-interest. I mean, Chuck Grassley's 88 years old. At some point, you know, when is it enough? When when does he simply say, I'm I'm just too old for this? Uh, and, and I don't mean too old to be a senator. I mean too old to, to have to bend the knee to somebody like Donald Trump. So there is this whole complex of people who have finally found a place in the sun uh, by scaring the hell out of the rest of America. Um, and when that's combined with a bunch of people whose primary goal in life is just to stay in Washington, D.C., um, you know, that puts the Constitution in a lot of danger because then people aren't doing what's in the best interest of the country uh, or, or for our system of government. You mentioned Stephanie Grisham. Who else? I, I think if you look at the entire um, right-wing publishing uh, um, enterprise now, everybody from National Review to American Greatness, um, it has become... Uh, uh, basically just an enterprise of keeping their heads above water and staying published and staying in the public eye. I think there are cable networks, um, not the one we're on, but there are cable networks whose uh, hosts spend the entire evening um, scaring people half to death uh, simply to keep their eyeballs I mean, I, I glued think I, to the I think I know. I, I think I know who you're talking about, but I just want to be clear. Like, who, who are you talking about? I think the entire Fox primetime lineup is basically organized around um, keeping people terrified and keeping themselves on television from Tucker Carlson to Laura Ingraham in the evening. There doesn't seem to be a consequence for that, though, do you think? They're, they are selling something that the market wants to buy, um, but much like a, a drug, um, when you start people on fear uh, as a way to hook them into watching television, you have to keep delivering bigger and bigger hits of that fear. And so instead of articles about or stories about immigration, you get stories about caravans. Instead of stories about crime, you get stories about rampaging in the streets and on and on. So that by the end of the evening, people are convinced that they are, you know, they want to live in their panic rooms. Um, and that they are willing to go, and this is the key, they are willing to choose authoritarian, uh, anti-constitutional solutions uh, that empower uh, a Republican Party that has given up on democracy and would gladly provide those authoritarian solutions, particularly in the person of Donald Trump. Schools are now radicalizing our kids. I mean, this is the volume of the book from uh, Critical Race Theory that, as you people say, teach in law schools. But unfortunately, it is now trickling down into little books for children like Woke Baby, Gender Queer, which is the book that actually inspired this mom to speak in the school board meeting in Fairfax County, to which Terry McAuliffe responded. In it, there is unfortunately a very graphic symbol of pedophilia and pornography. This Can book I ask you, though, why do you draw a line from one to the other? Because I, I have uh, gone through critical race theory uh, I don't know that there's a direct line. Why do you think that there is? So just look at this idea that is in Not My Idea. And it literally says here, 
whiteness is a bad deal, and it has a symbol of Satan. And this is the contract that they say whiteness brings. And children are getting this book. And so there is a direct correlation from these ideas to these dangerous principles. And I fit into the intersectional world. I'm a Muslim, I'm an immigrant, I'm a mom of color, I am a single mom, but yet I deny all of these you know, privileges in the new paradigm of the oppression matrix because we're all human beings. And that's what we need to teach our children. Of course, race is an important issue, our racial history. But right now, critical race theory is bringing into our schools racism, bigotry, and separation, affinity circles, segregation. It's not okay and it's not healthy for our kids. Kazike, what do you say to that? Uh, what I say is that, you know, one of the big problems we have today, and we've learned this during the pandemic uh, uh, situation that we're in today, that we have too many people who know little or nothing about education trying to tell uh, professionals who are in this industry who've been working hard. If anything, we've learned that their jobs are much harder than we think they are. And we're coming in as weekend warriors trying to tell them about what uh, education should look like. And what I would say is that I think we need to put a little bit more trust in our educators. We need to put a little more trust in people who have actually researched this issue and who actually are better informed because they've actually spent the time and energy necessary to really understand some of the nuances Responses that are being kind of just blown over here in this conversation. And I think what's important to, to really be aware of is that having this conversation on race and racism is what this is really about. And what you oftentimes hear on the other side is this unwillingness to really call things out. What they used to say in the black church is, you know, shame the devil and tell the truth. The truth is racism is real. It's having a real impact on our children. It's having an impact on the... And now the the gallery that is featuring his work in New York City and Soho seems to be making money after a little more COVID money after featuring um, Hunter after his father was um, put you know in office. So Hunter Biden's um, art dealer received 350k in federal loans after. President Biden became president. So it was 151st. Then Biden comes in, it goes up to 580. What's really weird about this, this is a little gallery. Pete, there's only two employees. Crazy. I will so there's like the about 580,000. So hold on, let's break this down. This is a two employee art gallery in Soho right. here in Manhattan. They initially got $150,000 in, right. in loans. That was when President Trump was there. Then in July, as the rumors and rumblings of Hunter's upcoming exhibit were there, they get their 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 approval gets revised up, an additional three hundred and fifty thousand dollars approved. So now they got five hundred thousand dollars in disaster assistance loans, and then they also got eighty grand in the per, uh, Paycheck Protection Program. And as you point out. $580,000 to an art gallery. Really crappy reporting. Really crappy reporting. Really crappy reporting. How much should Biden and the people around him be worried about these polling numbers? And here's a free shot. 
How much of it is the result of really crappy reporting by mainstream news media using kind of false equivalent standards that stopped in 1978 and is as if Donald Trump was never president? As far as Biden's approval numbers, look, I think that some of this stuff is out of his hands and some of it's in his hands. I think the comeback of the Delta virus is a big reason why we're seeing the uh, disapproved numbers go up. Um, obviously, you can point to red state governors really more than Biden in that, but he's he's taking the brunt of the, the, the pain. I think that happens when you're the president. Uh, I also think this Quinnipiac poll in particular might be a bit of an outlier. So I think everybody you know, in the Democratic Party should take a deep breath before you know fully hyperventilating over it. Um, I think your point about, you know, the media feeling like they need to kind of play both sides of this and give Biden the same treatment they gave Trump um, plays into this. But I think that the Biden administration would be remiss to just assume it's all of those factors that are out of their hand. They fumbled the ball on some things that are in their hand. Um, you know, they, they had an infrastructure bill that was on the one yard line that they decided not to punch in. Um, now they've had this inter-party fighting. I think Biden's shown patience. It's, no, it's very possible that both these bills will pass. Nobody will remember this next November, and that all will be fine and dandy. Uh, but they got to make sure that actually happens. Um, and, and they also have a, a problem on the border, I think, that they've they've uh, stepped in as well. So, you know, they, he's, got, he's got a lot to deal with. Some of it, I think, has been... Yeah, OAN makes Fox News look liberal. It is conspiracy-laden, in denial about the riot, sometimes pretending Donald Trump is still president. It's some of the worst of the worst content out there. And this reporting, first reported by Reuters, now matched by CNN, shows how AT&T played a pivotal role in the origins of One America News. Uh, even saying the word news with One America doesn't really seem fair. This is an opinion channel with extremist content. But according to these court documents, let me put up on screen what the, the, the court documents show OAN's founder saying, crediting AT&T, saying they told us they wanted a conservative network. They only had one, which was Fox News, and they had seven others on the other side. When they said that, I jumped to it. One. So in other words, the founder of OAN giving AT&T credit, saying thank you, AT&T, for the inspiration for giving us space on your lineup for our channel. Of course, as the years have gone by, OAN's become more and more conspiracy-laden, become... Last thing before we go tonight, something light, which, come to think of it, uh, describes an entire political party these days. This is a little thing the Lincoln Project likes to call last week in the Republican Party. And as much as Trump loves the original cast recording of the music of Cats, this piece begins with the one song he longs for the most.
They deleted every everything in Colorado. The whole election's deleted. I'm in a job where you can go on cable TV and blame somebody for everything. And it's never my fault, right? <laughs> the characterization that the Democrats have made about uh, the Border Patrol uh, using them as whips, whipping people uh, coming across the border uh, is false. They were simply maneuvering horses. They're actually changing societally the whole country. They want to demoralize the military, close the churches, destroy your faith in the American system, and then here they're going to come with the socialist program to run your life from cradle to grave, daylight to dark. That's not representative government, ladies and gentlemen. That is behind closed doors, smoke-filled room, in this case, not cigars, probably marijuana. Shut the government down because the real world knows how to run without the government. We do not need the government. Last week, Joe Biden speaks at the United Nations and says he's going to restore our relationship with our allies as if it wasn't good under President Trump. It was just, it was great under President Trump. Nature abhors a moron. Don't be moronic. Put away the fine crystal glassware, the Lincoln Project to take us off the air tonight. That Andrew, I just have to ask, I mean, Tucker Carlson, I mean, I mean, I, let's just say he's just a bad person and he represents so much of what is wrong on in television news these days. You know this all too well. He, he you know, spouts off white nationalist talking points. And so why, why would you even go on his show? And why didn't you go after him when he, he's citing the Unabomber and talking? I mean, just crazy stuff. One of the things we have to do. Jim is trying to take the temperature of the country down and the only way to do that is to reach out to people where they are as you know Tucker commands a massive audience and if you wanted to try to build a unifying popular movement that does call attention to the fact that our system's not working really for anyone uh, you know you you have to again reach out uh, and that's what I was doing on that show I mean that the goal is to have Republicans who are discontent to channel their discontent in a positive way. And right now, in my view, going in a positive direction. Now, you might have expected Majority Leader Chuck Schumer to show some gratitude to the GOP leader, but no, instead, he viciously attacked him. Despite immense opposition from Leader McConnell and members of his conference, our caucus held together, and we pulled our country back from the cliff's edge that Republicans tried to push us over. Now, guys, look closely. I want to see this video right here. You see Joe Manchin putting his face into his hands, visibly disappointed by Schumer's remarks. Now, this bill heads to the House, where it must pass before going to the president's desk. We'll see what happens. Great camera work by Joe Manchin. Uh, I mean, picking up Joe Manchin in the back. I don't think he knew he was on camera, clearly. But that's just it. Shaking his head. He's working behind the scenes to say, guys, can we not default on the dead? I know how bitter we are and how polarized we remain. But can we not collapse? President Biden's poll numbers are, to use the technical term, not good. And for Democrats, there are even more troubling numbers underneath the surface. Joining me now, CNN senior data reporter, Harry and they tell a clear story. They do tell a clear story. You know, 
again, to use a technical term, not good. This is the trend in Joe Biden's job approval rate. You look at August 1st, you know, the approval was at 51. The disapproval was at 43. That was a net right there, a plus eight. But look at what happened. September 1, the net, minus two, the disapproval above the approval, and now minus five. So essentially going in the wrong direction. Not good. Clearly underwater at this point. But look at this. Among independent, he is down 19 points. He was in positive territory on August 1st at plus three. He's now at minus 16 points net approval rating with independence. It's those folks in the center of the electorate who are driving this. And what do you see here? You see that among independents, look at that. Joe Biden won by 13 points. This was a group that Hillary Clinton lost by four. This was a massive change. 17 points movement towards Joe Biden. It was those voters in the center of the electorate who helped win him the election. And now that he is underwater with them, a very bad sign. What are they seeing or not seeing? Yeah. So I think this right here, look at this. So how much has Biden accomplished in office so far? In late April, look at this. 51%, a bare majority, but a majority nonetheless, said he accomplished a great or fair deal. Now look at late August. Look at this. Down to just 40%. Now the clear majority of voters say, look at this. 58% say he's accomplished only some or very little. So they don't think that Joe Biden has gone to office and done very much. I think vaccinations, which is a real push for the administration, and they got a lot of people vaccinated. In late August with Delta, people may have not. There's something happening now that is not normal, that is a threat. It's not a normal political negotiation. It's not the kind of disagreement we might have over immigration policy or dealing with China or anything like that. It's an outright threat to the welfare of the country. An extreme example would some be some group saying, well, we're going to dump anthrax in the water supply unless you do X, Y, or Z. You know, that is a threat. This is not a public health threat, but it's a threat that could have uh, real economic implications. Well, one of the phrases I always hear these days, of course, Dems in disarray. It's a meme. It's a joke. But it's also said seriously all the time. The Democrats are in disarray. Is it more accurate to say it's Congress in disarray? Congress is failing? Absolutely. And when we say Dems are in disarray, it gives like a political game chips to both people, right? <laughs> it allows someone like uh, Mansion Cinema to go to the White House and have all this unbridled power because then it becomes this like Aaron Sorkin power play or people mm. make jokes about Veep in the briefing room and I'm in the back like needing more Advil because I, you know, I just don't have a tolerance for it anymore. Brian, we talked about this a couple weeks ago in another con context. The danger is this move towards autocracy and the way the Republican Party has bought into it and the way they are shutting down Congress and doing all of these things to bring Trump back in 2024 and to get the midterms in 2022. And we are at this dangerous point. And the, the crisis is how do we communicate this to the American people? Mm. But I don't know how people in right-wing media, with the science that we have out there, and with all the videos and all the personal tragedies we've witnessed of people dying, you can go and do anti-vax stuff on television. It's not a game. You walk out of the street, you're part of the community. You're part of this country. You're part of the global community. And you're contributing to killing people. That's, that's unconscionable. There is no forgiveness. There is no forgiveness for these people. Go ahead. Cash your checks now. You know, <laughs> you're, you're helping to kill people. Suppress. Suppress. Don't let people hear it. Don't let people hear it. I I just I I 
I just don't understand sometimes. I, I don't get what the fuck are we doing? I mean, let's go Brandon seems like it's really silly, but that's how far the media will go. What's it let's go Brandon mean about? There's articles on it. They're trying to suppress it. And then you really got the Daily Show. Should fuck Biden flags be allowed on public display in neighborhoods? You called Trump supporters Nazis. You brought people on who flipped off the motorcade. I will tell you right now, let somebody flip off the motorcade. Let it happen. You'll get arrested because it's okay with Trump. It's okay with the conservative. It's not okay. And then the jobs number came out, his approvals. Then we have the spin machine. So this is our hypocrisy section. Well, tonight, a perfect storm of high demand and low supply is sending fuel prices through the roof. Driving your car is costing a lot more, and so will heating your home this winter. We get more now from CBS's Mola Lenghi. Gassing up, increasingly a hit to the wallet. You've noticed the prices increase. Yes, it is pretty rough, not going to lie. Henry McGinnis told us it just takes something out of you. Hurts the pocketbook, hurts the wallet. Yeah, it hurts my soul. This cab driver says he spends at least $300 extra a month, so he's shopping around. The difference is like 10 cents between the Amco, the mobile gas station, and the Exxon. This week, the national average for a gallon of regular unleaded gas is $3.27. That's a seven-year high. According to Gas Buddy, the price of a gallon nationwide has gone up more than five cents in just a week. U.S. benchmark crude oil prices rose above $80 a barrel for the first time since 2014. Chicago area utilities are projecting heating bills up to 50% higher this winter compared to last. The New York Department of Public Service warned residents last week their home heating bills could jump 21% compared to last winter. We're facing a looming energy crisis as we head into what could be a cold winter. Halima Croft, global head of commodity strategy at RBC Capital Markets, told us higher oil prices combined with increased demand for oil and concerns about a colder winter in Europe and Asia means you're paying more. I mean, I think it's all connected. Well, the price of a gallon of gas here in the U.S. has nearly doubled since April of 2020. But Terry McAuliffe, uh, sometimes, sometimes get out ahead of the brain. Uh, this is a debate scene here where Terry McAuliffe says schools, parents, why would I listen to them? I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. But, you know, I get really tired of everybody running down teachers. Terry McAuliffe wants to put government, bureaucrats, politicians between parents and their children. Terry McAuliffe has said, sit down, be quiet. I don't care what you think. Um, Terry McAuliffe would like to clean up his words again, as he did on the call. But it is difficult in a state where a close election will be determined in the fast-growing northern Virginia suburbs, where you have a lot of parents. 
and a lot of debate about critical race theory, about what's being taught in schools, to have a candidate for governor say, I don't want to listen to parents, or I, want, I would go side with teachers over parents, yeah. stepping in it. Yeah, it's clearly a misstep. And I just, let's just say for the record, just in case anyone doesn't know, they don't teach critical race theory to kids in right. K through 12 schools. That's not a thing anywhere in the country, including in Virginia. But setting that Only, only for Republican candidates. <laughs> yes, but it is, <laughs> it is hotly debated, but not actually a thing. So... Um, I think for Terry McAuliffe, there are two challenges. And one is that Glenn Youngkin is not Donald Trump. If Terry McAuliffe was running against Donald Trump, it'd be a completely different race, right? But Youngkin has um, a, a mass appeal to kind of the center or slightly right of center or, I don't, well, probably not left of center, but center and right of center. And so that's making this a more real race. He has um, acquitted himself very well as a candidate. And he has taken this deliberate step away from Trump, not really, not really talking trash about Trump, but being very careful to make clear he is not aligning himself as a Trump candidate. And that is giving some assurances to Virginia voters in the middle. And that has got McAuliffe in a more defensive position. And the other is this school issue, because, look, I think it sounds to me like what McAuliffe was trying to say is I'm not going to let irresponsible parents who are against science uh, terrorize school administrators into making your kids unsafe. But that's actually not what he said. It's just not what he said at all. And so, of course, it will be used against him. Yeah, you, you, that's the world we live in, right? You're, anything you say can and will be edited. and you, it's not. Maybe it's a little out of context. But you mentioned Glenn Youngkin is not trying to get a little safe distance from Donald Trump. That's why Terry McAuliffe, this interview lasted 13 minutes yesterday on State of the Union. 13-minute interview, 18 times. This. I'm running against a Donald Trump wannabe. He wants to do a Donald Trump, Betsy DeVos education system. Everything Trump says, this guy's in on. This is all the Trump talk. And I'm just surprised Trump hasn't come to Virginia yet. We're not going back to the Trump world. Joining us now, CNN politics editor at large, Chris Eliza. So, Chris, I mean, the, the issue here, I mean, as always, in situations, what was he really saying? Yeah. Right? I mean, he, he's saying, he's saying, elect the school, school boards, don't come shouting at the school or chase the kids as they're walking out of school. Yep. I, I, yeah, I mean, is that the point he's trying to make? The question is, does that explanation solve the problem? Yeah, so uh, breaking news, politics strips nuance out yeah. of political rhetoric, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, so he's, the broad point he's trying to make is I don't want parents coming in and making rules about mask debate, right. you know, masking and all that sort of stuff. The, the, the problem is that quote that we just played fits very nicely into, into a 30-second ad, ad yeah. that Glenn Youngkin, the Republican candidate, mm -hmm spent over a million dollars already on just that ad alone. I, I know you've seen it. I've seen it. I mean, th yeah. that ad is everywhere right now. And there's a reason for it, because it's a it's sort of an umbrella of issues, Jim. It's it's not entirely clear. He's talking about, well, is he talking about masking? Is he talking about yeah. vaccinations? Is he talking about critical race theory? Is he talking about transgender and bathroom issues? Right. That Youngkin is using it of course. to try to do all of State taking over exactly. our kids in schools. It's, yeah. it's a stand-in for this sort of broader idea of this is what democratic governance yeah. looks like. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah I, you know, Erica, I think there's a couple things there. Number one, uh, a campaign is very rarely the best place to have a serious policy discussion. It, it winds mm -hmm. up being, well, you said this little thing that I can clip into a, a short thing or put on an ad or put on flyers. And the other thing is that, you know, we remain in Virginia and everywhere else deeply polarized. So what is Youngkin trying to do? He's trying to do two things. One, he's trying to rev up his base on things like critical race theory, which, again, I don't think most people even understand, but they hear it and they say, oh, we don't want that. Uh, on things like uh, transgender students, on things like vaccinations, again, all reactive partisan issues. And then he's also, and this will be the key to whether it works really or not, is he's trying to sort of 
use this in the northern Virginia outer suburbs to say, don't you want to say in your kids' education? Yeah. Now, that's not what ultimately Terry McAuliffe is saying, but he know, Terry McAuliffe knows politics. He should know well enough that when you closer look at the uh, U.S. jobs report, CNN's Matt Egan is with me now to uh, break down the numbers and what they tell us about this pandemic economy and the effort to recover now falls short. The expectation was what, 500,000? 194. What's the big takeaway? Well, Victor, at first blush, this jobs report looked pretty terrible. Like, if you were going to give it a letter grade, it might be a D. Okay. But I think when you really dig into it, it's not really as bad as it looked. It might get a C plus or a B minus. That's now, here's, here's why. The big negative, of course, is 194,000 jobs were added. As you mentioned, less than half of what economists were expecting. Mm. This is actually the weakest job growth of the entire year. Now, as far as why, let's look at the sectors. The big negative was schools. Local school employment alone fell by 144,000 jobs last month. That's a big deal because normally there's a lot of jobs coming on from teachers and staff that was taken off the payroll during the summer. The fact that hiring did not pick up there in September of in all September months, yeah. is very, very interesting. And it suggests that they might have had a hard time finding the workers, particularly women. The other weaknesses, we saw hotel jobs barely grew, healthcare jobs fell, bar and restaurants didn't really grow all that much. But there were some positives here too. Job gains in July and August, they were revised higher. That's yeah. good news. Yeah. The unemployment rate fell to 4.8%. That is a pandemic low. It is a huge improvement from nearly 15% in April of 2020. Black unemployment is below 8%. Also, wages are growing. They're growing at the fastest pace in seven months. That suggests that there is some real demand for workers. So I think if you take a step back, this shows that COVID is continuing to distort. So if it's Jill, you know, she's got some major deals for us as well. So whip out that small scan the QR code on the screen. <laughs> you can see all of Jill's picks. And this time around, we've challenged each other to get out of our comfort zones, starting with Ms. Martin. Jill? Hi, good morning, everybody, and welcome to my home. And, you know, I'm always challenging you guys to do different things. And so this time around, we asked some of our staffers to challenge me. And you guys know I never like to lose a challenge. Take a look. Jill, sometimes it's hard to find time to get a good sweat in. So my challenge for you is a fit talk, a, a TikTok talk workout. Are you ready? I don't even know how to do a TikTok, be little fit talk. All right, I've been wanting to try the Megan Trainer Dear Future Husband Plank Challenge, so going to give it a shot. Set me on the day, I deserve a bank. And don't forget the flowers that bring in the verse away. Cause it trick me right, I'll eat the perfect life. Fine groceries, fine, fine, what you eat. Hi, Jill. I know you've done a little bit of yoga for the body, but what about yoga for the face? I challenge you to put your best face forward and get moving. <laughs> Yoga for the face. Hmm. Hi, Jill. I know how much you love your nightly ice cream, but I'm going to challenge you to eat healthy for one week. <laughs> I am going to take your challenge and not have ice cream for the next week. To show how hard this is, this is constantly in my refrigerator. Well, this seems like a good option. All right, I'm going for the beet juice. It's tempting, but I'll never lose a challenge. I win. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, they are coming out to us okay. and now going to Jill. Okay, Jill. Congratulations. Hi, guys. Well, I, thank you. I think I want... Well, welcome back this morning on Today Consumer, a warning about home rentals. Yeah, companies like Airbnb and Verbo, they're more popular than ever. But what happens when you show up and the place is nothing like the photos in the listing or even worse? Ooh. It's potentially dangerous. NBC's Vicky Wynn is here with what you mm -hmm. need to know before you book that next day. These things are wildly yeah. popular. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody wanted a getaway, too, during the pandemic. So good actually trust what you see in an online listing for a rental with thousands of people now relying on photos for peer-to-peer -peer rental sites like Verbo and Airbnb it can become a real problem for vacation runners who show up and find their dream getaway has turned into a real nightmare this spot red flags before you spend your hard-earned money and precious time on a place you'd never want to stay. The modern living room, the updated kitchen, the pool. The pictures on Verbo caught the eye of James Horan, who wanted to plan a special vacation after hunkering down for more than a year. I was definitely excited. Thought it'd be a fun place to spend, spend a month. He paid nearly $17,000 to rent the home in New Jersey. The pictures online, they look so good. The pool is like vibrant blue. It just looked like such a nice spot. But when he arrived at the house... It just didn't feel right. We look at the listing, I'm like, this isn't the same. Like, these aren't the same photos. Here's a picture of the living room in the listing. And here I am in the actual living room. It looks a little different. You don't notice it? Take a closer look. Here's what the room actually looks like, and here's the photo from the listing. The floor, rug, furniture, mirror, fixtures, blinds, even the wall, all are different. And it's not just one photo. The owner posted five angles of the living room all beautifully lit with modern furniture that's nowhere to be found in the actual home. James believes the photos were digitally altered. It looks like a rendering. Like, I don't, there's not even a guitar in this house. So why, why is it even in the photo? And in the kitchen? That's just almost like photoshopped in. It's a different fridge. Why would someone change the fridge? But the pictures are so convincing. Even expert Munir Ibrahim from photo verification company TruePick couldn't tell whether they'd been altered. Virtually everything that you see in this picture is different in the actual home. And yet, would you say this looks pretty realistic? Absolutely. I, I thought this was actually the real uh, photo as it, as it stood. James says at first he thought he could live with the mismatch, but not when he got outside. Remember this crystal blue pool? I cannot believe <laughs> this is the same pool as the pictures. I know, right? Not even the same color. This is really pretty gross. Uh, terrific. Look at the walls. <laughs> I know. What is that? He says he wasn't just worried about the water, but also the safety of the structure. Look, imagine trying to climb out with this pool, oh, yeah. like, and you put any, any weight onto this, you're going to fall back in. To top it off, James couldn't shake the overall smell inside, especially down in the basement, where it hit me, too. What is that smell? It's a dampness. It's a mold. It's... It's, it's terrific. To be sure, he hired an expert from EnviroPro who found that mold levels inside were two times higher than outside. Does this house have a mold problem? Yes, it does. James says he sent all of this information to the homeowner, but he refused to offer a refund, emailing, I've had guests stay here for years and have never had anyone complain about the home, adding the pool was clean the day before they checked in. The homeowner sent us this video of the pool he says he took the day before James checked in, but he didn't address any of the other complaints. And take a look at this. The house was also for rent on Airbnb. 
So how do you avoid a nightmare like this? First, check the reviews for the listing. In this case, we found the house appears to have just three short generic reviews, two with odd timing from August 2021, which appear to overlap with James's booking. Sort the reviews by date so you can see the most recent first. That will give you the best idea of the property's current condition. Always look at the listing photos on the largest screen you can, not just your phone. Upon closer inspection, these photos of the living room all appear to be altered, but this one It's just spin, 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 and something's wrong with my program. I can't get it to go single, but literally the shit they're putting out is comedic at best. His job approval is garbage. It's like Trump, but you can't hear it because you got these tweets. Jobs are up. Uh, Ron Klain. Uh, fucking shortages are uh, first world elite problems. Like many other problems, we inherited supply problems. Jobs are up. Unemployment rate is now down to 4.8 in just eight months. Yeah, those are people going back to work because of COVID. You don't get credit for that. In there, you'll see a picture of eggs. My wife went to get eggs. There's no eggs. There's no paper towels. There's no toilet paper. There's whole areas of stores. There's nothing. So everybody's hoarding. Ben Shapiro, here's your monthly reminder that blaming COVID rather than COVID policy for low growth is idiotic. Of the 23 best states in terms of unemployment rate, 17 are red because we went back. Biden has used COVID panic porn to explain why he pushed record taxation, spending, and regulation to excuse his own failure. That COVID panic porn is now psychologically addicted for blue areas of the country. If a current pandemic is a pandemic of the unvaxxed, generally located in red states, the current economic stagnation is a stagnation of blue states who are still panicked. And it's not going to wane. It's going to get worse because we're going to spike again. Bill Crystal, who no longer is conservative. The unemployment rate is 4.8%. Year-on-year hourly wages, 4.6%. Not bad after all, because I'm really just a fucking Democrat all along. CNN, spinning, because that whole thing was spinning. There's so much stuff I can't even cover. Just everything's a spin. Everything is better than you. Don't believe your eyes. Don't believe your gas tank. Don't believe the grocery store. Don't believe that Christmas is pretty much fucked. Brian Seltzer, marketing firm experts, that it was a massive branding fail for Build Back Better.
branding fail. I can't get the picture of the eggs. You probably saw it briefly. There's no eggs. Calissa Ward, the state marshal support, Ned Price on U.S. talks to Taliban. Discussions with a canon professional with the U.S. delegation reiterating the Taliban will be judged on his actions. A CNN reporter. The Taliban insists they're taking a gentler approach, but Calissa Ward says they're torturing motherfuckers in the street. Not even going to play it. You know it. Palmer report. This attempt by unvaccinated Southwest Airline employees of crippling U.S. airline is domestic terrorism. See, everybody who doesn't believe like them, doesn't think like them, you're a domestic terrorist. You're a piece of crap. You're a garbage hole. There's your eggs. In here is a fucking amazing picture. So I'm going to have to do it this the old way. Um, Hold on a second. I want you to see this. I hope this is coming out okay. And you're still seeing it. A bunch of Biden stuff that doesn't matter. Palmer report. That is millions of dollars of stuff we spent. $120 million we spent on panels for the wall. They're not even doing it. This one, according to a Border Patrol document provided by a source, the federal government has released over 70,000 illegal immigrants in the U.S. since August 6th including 31,977 released via parole, 94,570 released via NTR since 320. 128 single adult immigrants were released from Border Patrol custody without alternative detention. They were just put in here. Under federal law, parole for non-citizen is done on the case-by-case basis. Significant public benefit. Former USP Rodney Scott tells me he only granted 5 to 10 per year. They've granted 31,000. They're just releasing them. And the whole build back better, everything that's going on. Tell me a conservative. Uh, Trump was called... A Nazi for criticizing the media, shitting on freedom of speech. What is this? Well, I think you all could do a better job of selling it, to be very frank with you, because every time I come here, I go through the list. Family medical leave, climate, uh, the, the issues that are in there. And, um, but it is true. It is hard to break through when you have such a comprehensive package. Uh, but uh, as we narrow it down and and put it out there, I think that it will. Um, for example, one of the things in the bill is the continuation of the Biden tax credit that is child tax credit that is in the um, was in the rescue package. That has great appeal. Do people know where it, it springs from? No, but it is a, a vast bill. It has a lot in it and we'll have to continue to make sure the public does. But whether they know it or not, they overwhelmingly support it. And by the way, women much more than men. Men like the infrastructure. This one here. Yeah. Will that be the first to go to get the price down, the price of the package down? Excuse me? Will it be the first to go to get the price of the package down? <laughs> you must be kidding. <laughs> That's a negotiation. That's not something that I would be announcing here, and I don't even know what that would be. 
uh, known what would be the first go, but would be uh, uh, probably in timing that the timing would be reduced in many cases to make the uh, cost lower. But it only would be in such a way that does not undermine the transformative nature of it, because some of it has to have enough money in order to be have sustainability that is can be counted on. So again, the first thing would be uh, timing. Thank you. Thank you all. Oh, by the way, I have to go. I have um, a foreign minister, Lapid, coming to my office now. He's in Washington for meetings with the administration, and I will have a bipartisan a meeting with him, and perhaps some of you will even attend our press uh, availability in, in a short period. But it's pretty exciting uh, to welcome here to once again uh, take great pride in the relationship between Israel and the United States, that Israel's security is essential to U.S. security, uh, that we have those shared values, security, 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 but also values, and to talk about some of the, uh, uh, the issues about a, a two-state solution. It had to be a, a solution uh, to commend them for their work. The Israelis have been in the lead on COVID. Small country, but big enough to make an impact and for us to learn from. So I'm very excited about that meeting, and perhaps I'll see some of you at that press bill. Thank you all. Bye-bye. They're so used to the media doing their job. I think you should do a better job of selling it for us, because that's your job. And then an editor at uh, New Republic, I wrote about it, hunting politicians down. You saw the, the picture briefly. Um, let's edit this. What is this one? Hold on a second. There you go. That one. That's a Democrat because she's not in line. Then Brian Seltzer, once again. Once again, media matter and them, the difference between reporters and Fox News. Whenever anyone asks me about trust in media, I try to ask, what do they mean by media? Because everyone is a member of the media now. The media includes the New York Times and also a no-name blogger. So let me propose to you a, a different way to think about trust in media. Reporters versus repeaters. This brand new research by Gallup says American trust in the mass media is at its lowest point since 2016 and near a record low overall. But think about it. Almost everyone trusts some form of media. Everyone trusts something. It's just that many people trust CNN and many others trust Fox, even though we're not really two sides of the same coin. So it's obvious that when pollsters ask about the media as a whole, the results are abysmal. And that is in large part due to Republican sentiment that you see on your screen here. So you see these lines diverge over time. The blue line much, much higher than the red line. Republican trust in mass media is at rock bottom lows. And yet Fox's ratings are high and Fox's stars are beloved. So there is trust there. But the chasm, the canyon between Democrats and Republicans is critical to understand. Democrats say they generally trust mainline news sources. Republicans say they do not. The space between them is Grand Canyon-sized. And as Matt Gertz of the Liberal Media Matters noted, the thing about that partisan skew is that it means that negative press coverage is much more damaging to Democrats, whose voters will believe it, and less damaging to Republicans, whose voters generally won't believe it. It's an interesting point. But the even bigger point, I think, is about what the press is. 
What's the nutritional value of the content? Is it produced by reporters or by repeaters? So at the risk of repeating myself a little bit, okay? Repeaters are the talk radio shouters who tell listeners to hate the other side. They're on TV and radio telling the same story every day. Repeaters are outlets like One America News, which replays Donald Trump's lies on a loop and runs random news packages made by other companies. Repeaters are all over Facebook in hyper-partisan private groups that cherry-pick stories and confrontational memes and make you really rageful. Repeaters are Twitter trolls who anonymously amplify propaganda and try to wear the rest of us down with their repetition. And so much of what they are repeating, so much of the raw material for radio yakkers and Facebook posters and all the rest is from reporters, from the people paid to figure out what is true, not what they might want to be true, but what is true. And here's the important part, okay? There are easy ways to tell the difference between the two between reporters and repeaters. CNN, for example, has news bureaus all around the world, all over the place, all the red dots. That's a lot of reporting power. Fox, just to show the contrast, has very few bureaus by comparison. They only have reporters in a couple of international locations. So Fox does a lot less reporting and a lot more repeating. But this isn't about ideology or anything. It's about a type of content. Fox and Friends got it all wrong today. Don't you wish you had a dime for every time somebody said to you, what would happen to America if we didn't have Fox News? Well, I mean, we'd have no alternative information at all. I mean, just think about that. It's not about alternative information. It's about whether media outlets are spending the money to staff the bureaus and send out troops and sort out fact from fiction. It's about repeating versus reporting. Fox and Friends does almost nothing but repeat. So, pollster is posing broad questions about the media. It doesn't really tell us a lot. The same is true with misinformation. This is a new poll from AP and Newark showing 81% of Americans say misinfo is a major problem. But I suspect that's because everyone distrusts some form of media. It's the converse to what I said earlier. Everyone trusts some sources, but they distrust other sources. They see that stuff as misinformation. So thus everyone thinks there's a big misinformation problem because they don't believe the other word, version. If there's a solution to this, and I don't know if there is, because we live in one America and two media worlds, but if there is a solution, it's through reporting. It's through reporting, not repeating. It's through doing the work and showing the work and showing how it happens every day. And it's also through asking some hard questions about why is it that right-wing media outlets do so little reporting? Why do they employ so few reporters and so many commentators and columnists and opinion writers? Why aren't there massive American newsrooms dedicated to journalism from a conservative point of view, a reality-based conservative point of view? Why isn't there a New York Times of the right? Why doesn't it exist? Is it because the audience doesn't want that? Or is it because the audience isn't beginning a chance, isn't being given a chance to support it? Why is it that so much of the noise and nonsense that comes out of pro-Trump outlets is repetition, is repeating, not reporting? Those are complicated questions, but they need to be asked. In the meantime, all of us need to see the difference between reporting and repeating, because reporting adds value. They are pounding on people over and over. Well, that's not real news, because they want it all in-house. Then you find out Katie Couric edited what RGB said. She said you shouldn't kneel. You saw a picture briefly. 
What do they do when everything goes bad? Pounces and seize. Republicans are pouncing and seizing and seizing and pouncing. But all they do is call people Nazis, fearmonger, and it's best shown by Terry McCulloch. How many times does he use Trump to try to get the governor's mansion once again? Another issue, you were you mentioned Donald Trump. Uh, I'm glad I have two cups here so I can keep drinking when you, uh, when you mentioned Donald Trump's name. But yeah. Terry McCulloch wants to make this about a man who's not on the ballot in Virginia. Donald Trump, Donald Trump, 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 Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Trump, Donald Trump. I'm glad I have two cups here so I can <laughs> keep drinking when you uh when you mention Donald Trump's name. Trump Trump Donald Trump 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 Donald Trump Trump Donald Trump. He's been trying to make his Republican opponent um a clone of Donald Trump, but that hasn't really worked so far. It's what they've done, that's how he got fucking elected. And then I, I just I can't go a podcast without playing this little snot at the podium. Tell me a Republican press sec could get with, listen to the tone on this fucking little bitch. There are a half a million containers floating off the California coast with nowhere to go. Major issues in the global supply chain right now. The vice president warned that this could happen in August. So why wasn't more done to prepare? For the global supply chain issues? Yeah, she was talking in August about if you want to have your Christmas toys for your children, now might be the time to start buying them because the delays could be many, many months. I, I asked that because we've been talking about the issues in the global supply chain since January. As we understand it, it's not just COVID. There are also labor shortages and issues with uh, shipping lines here, uh, overground shipping lines in the U.S. Is the president satisfied that his task force is doing a good job? The, the president recognizes that there are several uh, several layers of the challenge here. The Democratic candidate for governor in Virginia, Terry McAuliffe, who President Biden stumped for over the summer now says, the president is unpopular today, unfortunately, here in Virginia, so we've got to plow through. Why do you think the president is unpopular in Virginia? Well, just if you look at facts and the polling, the president is the most popular figure in Virginia of anyone currently running for president or any former recent president. So I just note that in terms of the data. But I would say that the president's agenda is incredibly popular. President Biden claims that he cold called a Pennsylvania hospital to ask the desk receiving nurse why it was taking so long for a good friend's wife to be seen. What happened next? Well, the context of why the president told this story, which I think is important, and I promise I'll answer your question, is that he was expressing that hospitals, frontline workers, nurses, doctors in emergency rooms are still see seeing and feeling the impact of the number of people who are unvaccinated, who are filling beds uh, and in emergency rooms, ICUs. Setting aside the privacy of the individual, how often does President Biden call around trying to help his friends cut the line? That certainly was not his intention. He was not trying to do that. He was checking in on a friend. And do you know if this particular hospital might have been having staffing shortages because they have a vaccine mandate and maybe some folks have had to leave because they didn't want to get vaccinated? I would love for you to account for me uh, where that is the issue at over uh, more so than the number of unvaccinated who are filling. White House Chief Staff Ron Klain retweeted a 
a message yesterday, not once but twice, uh, that inflation and supply chain issues are high class issues. But some of the sharpest price increases over the last month included products that every American buys, beef products, chicken, eggs, regular unleaded gasoline, uh, laundry equipment, furniture, clothing, the, the list goes on. Why would Ron Klain tweet that? And would you agree that that's a little bit do you think two tweets means more? I'm just curious. Um, so just for context, what, the, what Ron Klain retweeted was a tweet from the former chairman of economic advisors, Jason Furman, where he said, for full context, which I think is important, most of the economic problems we're facing, inflation supply chains, are high class problems. What he went on to say is, we wouldn't have had them if unemployment rate was still 10%. We would instead have had a much worse problem. So I think the point here is, well, there are some critics who are saying, what some of these critics are saying uh, is, I don't, we don't know if they're saying that what they thought was great was when the unemployment rate was double what it is today, or when people were locked in their homes and therefore gas prices were lower. We're at this point because the unemployment rate has come down and been cut in half, because, ga because people are buying more goods, because people are traveling, and because demand is up. The economy is turning back on. And that's a much more eloquent way of putting it than the, the high class um, comment in, in that tweet. It's, it's not the first time that Ron Klain's Twitter has drawn some sharp criticism. Is that something that the White House is addressing at all, given this pushback, this criticism? Are we addressing the Chief of Staff's Twitter habits? Yes. It is not a top priority, uh, I would tell you, at this point in time. Uh, the chief of staff is out there speaking on his own accord to members of Congress, to the media uh, frequently, um, as any chief of staff does. And I think it's important also for anyone here uh, to be able to uh, tout uh, points that they find interesting. And there are several challenges facing the White House right now, not just getting Democrats united on the president's domestic agenda, but also skyrocketing gas prices, a bad jobs report last week. You've seen several issues, and including the president's poll numbers seem to be reflecting that. So how is he viewing all of these challenges that are facing the White House right now? Well, he, one, has an incredible team that's working on all of these issues at one time. Uh, and uh, his view is his responsibility is to continue to uh, forge ahead every day and to work to address the challenges the American people are facing. You didn't mention COVID, but that continues to be uh, on front and center on the minds of the American people. Uh, people uh, want to return back to a version of normal. Uh, they want back to uh, school, that they can go to their workplaces, that uh, they don't have to fear uh, for uh, their safety uh, in communities. He understands that. That's what he's working on every single day. I would say that he also recognizes that uh, right now, uh, getting uh, something done for the American people, uh, working with members to members of Congress to do exactly that, uh, to forge a path forward to unite the Democratic Party is what people have elected him to do uh, to address the challenges we're facing over the long term. So I promise you, we don't get too glum around here. Uh, even if things look challenging, our, our view and his view is that uh, he was elected to continue to uh, press forward and address the challenges the American people are facing. Go ahead. I will say, since you gave me the opportunity, um, Governor Abbott's executive order uh, banning mandates, and I would also note announcement by Governor DeSantis this morning, essentially banning the implementation of mandates, uh, fit a familiar pattern uh, that we've seen of putting politics ahead of public health. 
Over 700,000 American lives have been lost due to COVID-19, including more than 56,000 in Florida and over 68,000 in Texas. And every leader should be focused on supporting efforts to save lives and end the pandemic. Why would you be taking steps that prevent the saving of lives, that make it more difficult to save lives in across the country or in any state? Tough approval ratings these days. I know people in the talk about polls and you might say that they don't mean anything, but um, it's also fair to say the White House, when there are good polls, you, you publicize them. So what do you make of these really terrible polls? Uh, are they that he's doing something wrong? Is it just the communication? Or is it he's doing the popular things that have to be done? Something else. Sure. Well, look, I would say that this is a really tough time in our country. We're still battling COVID, uh, and a lot of people thought we'd be through it, uh, including us. Uh, and we, because of the rise of the Delta variant, uh, because of the fact that uh, even though it was a vaccine that was approved under a Republican administration, uh, even though uh, we now have full FDA approval, and even though it's widely available across the country, we still have a quarter of the country who have uh, less than that, uh, 20 percent of the country who've decided not to get vaccinated. No question that's having an impact. Uh, and of course, as the president has said, the buck stops with him. The president doesn't prefer then one avenue or the other. The president wants to make fundamental change in our economy, and he feels coming out of the pandemic is exactly the time to do that. And if we don't do it now, if we don't address uh, the cost of child care, to go back to Josh's question earlier, if we don't uh, address the climate crisis, if we don't ensure that universal pre-K is a reality now, uh, we're, we're not going to have the same opportunity to do it for some time. And there are several challenges facing the White House right now, not just getting Democrats united on the president's domestic agenda, but also skyrocketing gas prices, a bad jobs report last week. You've seen several issues, and including the president's. Then we have the brainwashing of the woke. It never stops. Abortion, climate change, fucking stupid. Turn it up, turn it on. Rock it like we're bad to the bone, get on the floor. Running loose, gotta put these two left feet to use. If you need education in the party scene, as you think you can dance with me, this ain't no joke. Turn up. Let's get woke.
are back with our series Today Climate. At just 18 years old, Greta Thunberg is arguably the face of the climate movement. I got a chance to speak with her about the action she wants to see now and her hope for our planet's future. Climate activist Greta Thunberg is back after holding rallies virtually for more than a year. She's taking to the streets once again, challenging world leaders. Thunberg's Fridays for Future marches resumed last month and are gaining momentum ahead of the United Nations Climate Change Conference. In 2019, Thunberg grabbed the world's attention by sailing to New York City on an emissions-free, solar-powered racing yacht to attend the United Nations General Assembly, giving what became one of the most memorable speeches in UN history. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. The then 16-year-old was angry that promises made in the 2015 Paris Climate Agreement were not being met. The UN says global warming has already pushed our planet into a code red for humanity. And Greta is challenging more than 100 countries to do their vow to reduce carbon emissions by 2030 and actually fulfill those promises. What do you think it is going to take for that change to happen? It's, it's a very big task that's ahead of us. We need to, to change social norms. President Biden has uh, pledged to make a major reduction in U.S. greenhouse emissions in order to eat, meet the coal of the Paris Climate Agreement. She always brings it home. It's something else this morning I wanted to show you guys that brings it home for me. This side by side of what the Santa Monica Pier is going to look yeah. like in a, not even in 100 years, by 2100. So it. Well, you and he, uh, Judge Pittman, I'm speaking of, acknowledge that this fight is not over. Let me read a little more from this uh, ruling. That other courts may find a way to avoid this conclusion is theirs to decide. This court will not sanction one more day of this offensive deprivation of such an important right. This now goes to, and we know uh, the attorney general there says that the state will appeal. It goes to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, which uh, is one of, if not the most conservative uh, courts of appeal in the country. Uh, abortion uh, providers have won this battle. What's your outlook on the war? Look, I mean, I think uh, as I as I quoted at the rally this weekend, you know, like Dr. King, the 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 arc is long, but it bends towards justice, and we are seeking abortion justice. We are will be continuing to fight. It, the war is not over. You know, last night's order was um, very clear about the devastating impact of patients, uh, and we're going to continue to fight not only in Texas but in all of these other states that think they can put these copycat laws into place. Uh, there's no state in the union where banning abortion is popular. Uh, and so we will be using all of our levers. Uh, we will be fighting in the courts. We will be fighting uh, on, on the ground. And we will be ensuring that all of lawmakers uh, understand the impact that, that uh, this decision will be having on their, uh, on their. My producer and I spent some time with the NYPD on patrol a few weeks ago. And one thing NYPD leaders cite is what they call the iron pipeline, and, and that is a sort of pipeline from southern states with liberal gun laws up to, up to New York. And I wonder, do you see similar where you are in California and, and how do they get in and is there a way to control, you know, those weapons getting in? 
Yeah, we definitely have seen the increase in firearms coming across the California border, both from Nevada and Arizona. We've been working with the ATF to stem uh, this uh, influx of firearms that continue to come into our community. I think one of the real difficult issues we're facing is this huge uh, influx of ghost guns. Uh, we mm -hmm. hadn't seen ghost guns in the city of Oakland uh, in 2018 and in prior years, but in 2020 and 2021, we've seen a significant increase in the recovery of these untrackable weapons. That is also problematic for law enforcement as well. Yeah, especially, and we're looking at these numbers here too, the murder rate in Oakland. The city council recently voted to approve a resolution that declared gun violence mm. in Oakland, um, you know, a public health uh, emergency. You know, we looked at the, the AMA years ago, said this is, this is a public health yeah. issue. This is a public health crisis. Does almost redefining gun violence as a public health issue, does that help you? Mm. I think it does. I think it sends a message to the entire community that it is not just about violence related to uh, a certain group of people or uh, certain individuals. I really think it, it says that this is a problem that we all uh, should pay attention to, that it's impacted all communities throughout our country, as we've seen from the statistics that you guys put out earlier. I think it is a call in Oakland uh, for every member of our community to be a part of our response to address gun violence. And uh, mm -hmm. I appreciate this council ringing the alarm, if you would, to say to everybody that this is a medical crisis that needs the, yeah. uh, the, the proper attention. You, you often hear, before we go, Chief, uh, from police departments across the country about a drop in police officers' morale. Uh, do you have that same experience, and do you think that's part uh, of the reason behind the, the jump in crime? I mean, are, are officers policing differently in this environment? I haven't seen our officers police any differently. I think we've reorganized to be more focused. I, I think we feel like we are accountable to public safety. And so our officers are going out there doing the best job they can to address violent crime. But we have seen the impact of a reduce in staffing, that some people are choosing to not join law enforcement. Uh, some people uh, feel like uh, it's just a difficult time to be a police officer. So I think law enforcement departments throughout the country are definitely dealing with some the law provides an exception only for women facing medical emergencies. There is no exception for women who are victims of rape or incest. Mm -hmm. No exceptions. How do you justify that ethically to force a woman to have the baby of her rapist? Yeah, yeah, those situations are heartbreaking and tragic. At the end of the day, the question we ask at Texas Right to Life and what applies in this law is, it all comes down to what is the preborn child? We, they're a human being from that moment of fertilization worthy of moral and legal protection. And that is regardless of the means of conception. The divide in beliefs on abortion in America is deep, but on how to enforce restrictions, much less so. A new PBS NewsHour NPR Marist poll shows one third of Americans support a law that bans abortion once cardiac activity is detected. But 74% of Americans oppose allowing private citizens to enforce such a law. Outrage over SB 8 among women's reproductive justice activists has spread across the country. From Washington to San Francisco and back in Austin, Texas, where Zoraima Police lives. She's a reproductive rights advocate who had an abortion a decade ago. I was working full time, going to school part time in community college, and I learned that I was pregnant. 
I thought of my sisters immediately. My sister, my older sister, and many of my loved ones were young mothers. And I saw how much they struggled to raise their children as single young mothers in safe, sustainable environments. And I knew that, you know, I wasn't ready emotionally, financially to be a mom. She says she never regretted her decision. When Police had her abortion in Texas, the procedure was stigmatized but accessible. I was past six weeks, definitely. Um, I would not have been able to get abortion care in the state, and I don't know if I would have been able to afford to go out of state. The new Texas law is effectively a ban on almost all abortions in the state, and that's what the people behind it intended. We're estimating that between 100 and 150 preborn children and their mothers are being spared from abortion every day in Texas while this law is in effect. For now, the law is on hold, but the state of Texas is appealing, and Whole Women's Health resumed abortion care for women up to 18 weeks pregnant today. We have reopened um, our schedule to, to expand beyond that six-week limit in our Texas clinics already. Advocates for a woman's right to choose are holding their breath during what may be only a temporary reprieve. How do you think things would have been different for you if you had been unable to terminate your pregnancy? I know almost for a fact that I would not have become the first person in my family to graduate from college, um, that I would not be in law school right now. And I would probably have not have met my husband and on the verge of starting a family of my own on my own, on my own terms. Instead, for millions of Texas women of childbearing age, the terms... Uh, Jeffrey, I want to talk to you now about this, um, this wildly restrictive abortion law in Texas. A federal judge had stopped the law from being enforced. The state of Texas then appealed, and tonight the fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals granted the state's request. So now what? Well, I mean, it, you know, again, Don, it's worth pausing to consider that the women of Texas are being denied constitutional rights that have been guaranteed to them for 50 years since Roe v. Wade. And what the circuit court has done is reinstated this clearly unconstitutional ban. Texas had their constitutional rights for about three days. Um, since this law has gone into went on into effect on on September one, what happens now is uh, this the Fifth Circuit, this three judge panel, uh, the most conservative circuit court in the country, and and it looks like this panel, which is uh, two uh, Republican appointees, one Democratic appointees, will hear briefing and argument, and um, they they will decide whether this law. Stay, you know, goes, goes in, remains in effect. But let's be clear, this law is contrary to Supreme Court precedent, and it is a complete outrage that the Fifth Circuit has reinstated it, perhaps only temporarily, but that's, that's now the state of play. Abortion is now effectively illegal in Texas again, and it will remain that way. Bubba Wallace goes to racetracks, and he gets booed. Why do you think that is in, in 2021? This sport is, needs to change, and it has started the progress of changing. You know, and maybe people are not cheering for him, but he has to dig within himself. The challenge of entering a sport with little diversity and where the Confederate flag has been commonplace for decades was one Jordan was willing to take 
head on. When I dove to get involved in NASCAR, I knew I was diving into the teeth of racism. Knew it. Been there, experienced it, but I wasn't afraid of it. I was I was looking forward to the challenge. He's the first black principal team owner, as as you know, um, in, in a sport, in that sport, in almost half a decade. Just heard him say that he knew he was, quote, entering the teeth of racism. How has Michael Jordan <laughs> changed the culture of, of NASCAR? Or, or can even Michael Jordan do that? Yeah, well, you know, the, the great thing about everything he said uh, is that, you know, Michael Jordan has is announcing that he's joining uh, the war against racism. He's doing it in a very public way. He's using his, his resources. Uh, he's using his uh, visibility. And he's doing it through the prism of, of, of NASCAR, which is probably one of the most racist. God, they love killing babies. Sad trombone. Netflix trans employees thread basically accused David Chappelle and Netflix of abetting murder and it batfire. I were at Netflix yesterday. We launched another Chappelle special where he attacks the trans community. Blah, 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 blah. It's a dude dressed like a girl. Being trans is actually pretty funny if you're someone who actually knows about the subject matter. How could volunteering for a second puberty not be funny? The problem is that people are responding to something we never said. We aren't complaining about being offended. Thin skin. You tried to be a pharmacy having them call you sir in front of everyone while you pick up your estradol. Thin skin. What we object to is the harm. He's killing people. It's the most gay-friendly force-it-down-your-neck thing there is. All you get is gay stuff. If you don't want gay stuff, you get gay stuff. It is what Netflix is. I'm beat up today. My knee is killing me. So another pain pill. Glad. Well, The Verge first. Netflix suspends trans employee tweeted about Dave Chappelle's special. Netflix is a policy. The content designed to incite hate or violence is not allowed on the platform. But we all know that anti-LGBT content does exactly that. While Netflix is home to groundbreaking gay stories, now it's time for Netflix's exec to listen to gay community and just industry leaders and audiences and commit to living to their own standard. Ah, rage! And I'm saying gay now because now it's LGBTQIA+, 7, cosine of 7. Fuck, man! New York Times, page one, hails BLM educator defends CRT from racist white parents. That's still going. Lego. Lego commits to removing gender bias and harmful stereotypes from its store. Because out in California, it's illegal to have girl and boy toy section now. Red State spotlights some media malpractice to show maybe Facebook's not the problem. Kenosha officers shot Jacob Blake last year in Wisconsin will not face federal criminal civil rights charges. Federal prosecutors announced. Facebook is not the reason misinformation regarding what happened in Kenosha spread, resulting in riots, looting, and businesses being torched to the ground. It's actually the media, and he shows all these people to this day say he was unarmed. They will say he's unarmed, but they'll say the Capitol rioters are armed. It's all lies. Facebook using incorrect AP fact check to censor post, report says, over and over, they're all fake. But then the study shows that 54 to 1, big tech will suppress conservatives. 54 to 1, and I want to see the 1. 
And then you have this. This is okay on the news. This doesn't promote violence at all. Jim Acosta, Acosta questions message from GOP lawmakers sharing a stage with Donald Trump. When you stand next to him, ask yourself, can you feel the darkness that fills his soul? Filling yours too? It feels cold, doesn't it? I'm not even going to read the full tweet. I, I tried to find the sound bot, just to sign, sound bot just to play it, and it's just comedic. You can say that. There's nothing wrong with saying that and endangering people's lives. That's okay. I didn't even play all the Yunskin. Here's another one from uh, NBC. Uh, Listen to this. Is this okay? Well, and and John Hallman, I mean, David just said he's trying to distance himself from the insurrection. He hasn't, he he has said, I believe Axios reported that that Youngkin wouldn't say whether he would have voted to certify the election on January 6th if he were a member of Congress. That is part of the slow motion insurrection. He is an insurrectionist. So he can distance himself all he wants from the disgusting, abhorrent display of a flag flown over um, a scene that became the, you know, final resting spot of of, of police officers and, and others. But he himself was for the insurrection. Well, and let's be clear, part of the part of the power of this moment is that the flags that were flown uh, by the insurrectionists, some of those were used to beat police officers and try to kill them. So that makes the that makes that's what the moment's about. And you I'll bet you every dollar in my pocket, Nicole, that Youngkin's attitude was as soon as he heard Bannon and Trump were going to be at this rally. That was where his cannon pin drew the line. They said, okay, we're not going to go. This is what distancing will be. We're not going to say anything bad about Trump. We're not going to renounce the endorsement. We're not going to say that Joe Biden's the legitimate president of the United States or that he would have voted to certify the election, but I'm not going to go to that rally. And they thought that would be enough. And then the flag showed up and the flag showed up and the video was there and people pledging allegiance to a flag. Uh, the flag of the insurrectionists, a flag just like the flags that police officers were beaten with. That was. He's an insurrectionist. Get away with that. You can just get away with it. I, I just don't know how to understand. We talk about words are violence. And I, you just get away with anything you want. You just, uh, my God in heaven, it just kills me. So, in there, you saw Joe Rogan. I was going to cover it this week, but I decided not to because it's been beat up. But I listened to that podcast, and they went out the next day with Don Lemon and said that he was taking horse dewormer, which is a total lie. They don't have any shame. It is a cult. We talked about it. It's a cult. It's a religion. They have their intersectionality religion. They have their COVID religion. It's all a fucking religion. And you can't get away from it. You just can't. If you say anything that's wrong, they're going to turn on you. Which brings us to our lighter fare.
Tuesday, everyone, and what a glorious Tuesday it is. Possibly the greatest Tuesday in the history of Tuesdays. And why is that, you ask? Well, I'll answer. I woke up this morning to find out the new Superman, bisexual. <laughs> Finally, as powerful as a locomotive, able to leap from women to men in a single bound. <laughs> I have not been this excited since I learned the true identity of the Joker. He's <laughs> 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 scary. Now, it's, really, it's not really Superman, as in the original Superman. He's retired, living in Hoboken and buying gold from William Devane. <laughs> this is uh, John Kent, Superman and Lois Lane's son. He was Superboy for a while before Dad said, hey, time to become a man and then immediately got canceled for using gender stereotypes. So he became Superman, and he hooks up with a young male journalist, don't we all? Yeah, so Superman, Superman is bi, and I say it's a long time coming. Jimmy Olsen, it was worth the wait. Because if there was, if there was one thing that was important to me as a 10-year-old reading comic books, it was who the characters were sexually attracted to. Oh yeah, it drove me crazy. I needed to know who Batman was sleeping with, you know, other than Robin. <laughs> I mean, you know, calling him the boy wonder, it kind of made me wonder. <laughs> and he couldn't be sliding down that bat pole just for fun. <laughs> I also wanted to know if the Archies were into bondage. And I just assumed Aquaman was into water sports, thus the rubber sheets. True, <laughs> I hadn't even reached puberty yet. I'm still waiting, in fact. But it pained me to think that our fictional superheroes were trapped in traditional sex roles. Spider-Man could swing between buildings, but he couldn't swing both ways. <laughs> Sad. Ever since I was a kid reading comic books, I saw that they had more boots, gloves, and masks than a leather shop in the West Village. It was like Brit Hume's closet. And yet, I was as frustrated as a porcupine in a balloon factory. Where were the superheroes who reflected who I was? A sexually confused young boy with acne, no friends, and an obsession with macrame. It wasn't about finding something outside my life, but something that reflected my life, right? Because if they don't reflect my lifestyle, then I can't possibly enjoy it. Every movie has to have someone like me in it, or I refuse to watch it. Sure, some comic characters shared traits with me. Scrooge McDuck was wealthy but didn't wear pants. <laughs> Astro Boy was short but looked great in red boots and black shorts. <laughs> Luke Cage looked great in jeans without a shirt. He's as shredded as a bag of Sargento mozzarella. We shared that in common. Mm, no pants, awesome abs, red boots. I just described Killmead at the last FNC Christmas party. <laughs> My point is, who really gives a damn? No kid cares or wants to care about who Superman is kissing. The guy is faster than a locomotive and able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. I think that might pique a kid's curiosity more than what or who he hooks up with. Especially since kids who read comic books usually don't have sex until their early 30s. <laughs> but it raises a question, why is this happening? Why is this being forced into a medium where it's not necessary? It's like announcing they have gluten-free crusts at a pie-eating contest. Nobody asked, nobody cares. <laughs> but that doesn't matter. 
It's not for the consumer. It's for the companies to cover their asses. There's a desperate need to virtue signal to those who don't even read comic books as a way to protect companies from being criticized for their past. And the criticism is always the same. Lack of diversity. Something you never hear about in the NBA. But companies end up trying to please people who don't even use your product. You see this with ESPN. That network sucks because it keeps lecturing sports fans in order to appeal to a crowd that couldn't tell the difference between a jock strap and a sports bra. A mistake I'll never make again. That was awkward. Yeah, it was awkward. <laughs> At the gym, no less. Everyone everywhere is so terrified by the woke mob that they'll turn their art into propaganda. So they hire some miserable gender studies grad to help them create woke products that keep them safe from the online mob. Suddenly, it's no longer about adventure. It's about indoctrination. I wonder what the angry white male has to say. Me? I have zero interest in the personal lives of superheroes or comic books for that matter. I guess I'm old school, but I think adults should act like adults. Anyway, I gotta get to work. This media stunt also sets a trap for critics, meaning if you say this is the dumbest thing since salad, then you become the target. Instead of mocking this desperate wokeism, the media will instead mock those who find the whole idea absurd. So like a Chaplin film, no one actually says anything. Why? Well, we're nice people, but sadly we're now in a world that insists that we have to care. They demand our opinion, and if we don't give it, then we are part of the problem. And just imagine how Superman feels when he's told about his character update. Okay, Superman, as your agents, I think you should know nobody wants a straight white male superhero anymore, okay? It's not enough to save people. You have to appeal to LGBTQIA+. Well, I can only fit one letter on the logo. Oh, okay, 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 okay. We keep the S, but we add a JW, okay? Now let's talk about your identity. I have a secret identity. Okay, well, uh, what about your family life? My dad was a farmer. Oh, God. He wasn't MAGA, was he? <laughs> uh, he died when I was in high school. Oh, good. Okay, well, look. You're going to have to come out as something, okay? Are you attracted to men? No. Women? No. Oh, oh, you're asexual. Oh, this is perfect. Okay, everyone's been saying they want an asexual superhero. No one's been saying that. <laughs> I mean, so you're not attracted to anyone? Well, technically, I'm a different species. I'm from the planet Krypton. Oh, fantastic! You're an immigrant! I'm an alien. Whoa! Whoa! Easy with the A word. Gee, okay, you know what? I think we just need to get you vaccinated. I'm literally Superman! <laughs> so the divide between your public stance and how you really feel widens. Publicly, you can say, wow, Superman, you go, boy! But privately, you know what a bunch of it is. So go ahead, turn Superman into political theater. I don't care, but every time you expect me to care, I'll crap all over you, even if you didn't pay me first. Because in a fair world, in a fair world, it is none of our business. I don't need to know what you enjoy sexually any more than you need to know what turns me on and why it requires a sock full of nine volt batteries. <laughs>
It's just comedic. The way they shove it everywhere, Superman's gay, this, that. It's just nonstop. It's almost, it, it used to be like outrageous. I mean, look at that shit. The kids need to know about the sexuality of Superman. No. And now it's just funny. They're going so overboard. It's backfiring. That's how you have people going to school boards and getting people fired now in Loudoun County. You can call us insurrectionists. You can arrest us for doing the same thing the left does. It's not going to change the reality. And the reality is you're going too far. Americans are center. You're either center left or you're center right. You're not far right and you're not far left. That makes about about 18% of the country if you really want to break it down. There was no insurrection. There is fascism. And it's in the form of the Biden administration. Every ailment you're feeling now, gas prices, they want that. They want you to pay more so you'll drive less and go buy an electric car. Heating. Oh, that kills the planet. Go fuck yourself. Put on a sweater. They've been saying that for years about electricity. They don't want you to use it for AC. Your AC should be on 78, remember? Supply. You don't need meat, you motherfuckers. You're killing the planet because of cow farts. They'll still travel. They'll still eat the prime rib. Fuck you. You're a nobody. They're the smartest people in the room. They know everything. They know how to live your life better than you, and they're going to tell you how to do it. So all this, it's by design. Unfettered immigration because they want to replace you so you can't stop them. The NASA, everybody went on, oh, this is so ridiculous, she's so fake, why would you do that? That's because they've got to get the next person. They can't rig the election vis-a-vis federal running of elections. They can't do that now because they don't have the majority. They know next year they're going to lose seats. I don't think the Republicans will take a huge majority because everybody's so pissed off. I don't know how many people actually go out and vote. But the reality is they're not going to have a majority so they can take over the federal election. So they got to get somebody else in there. And they'll still be fortifying or rigging the election through social media, big tech, the media, Youngskin is, I don't even know anything about Youngskin other than he's an insurrectionist murdering, he fucking kills pandas in Walmart parking lots. That, that's going to be every Republican. DeSantis runs, Trump runs, it doesn't matter, they're Nazis. So the election will continue to get rigged through social media, but they know that won't last long because more of us are walking away from social media. We're just done with it. It is not for free speech. It's for liberal groupthink. CNN ratings in the tank. MSNBC ratings in the tank. Fox ratings going up. We used to not watch cable news. The only time I watch it is Bill Baer. Brian Bear, whatever, Bear, Brett Bear. There it is. It's a good news show. Tells me stuff. I don't think it's biased. And I watched my Tucker and Gutfeld. 
But more and more of us aren't even watching because it's so fucking depressing. It is depressing to watch one party get away with actual murder, violence, burning down cities, nothing happens to them, and a bunch of geriatrics that walked in the Capitol, they're going to jail for hard time for fucking being against the COVID. He's shutting down everything. There's not going to be police officers, firefighters, pilots, nurses. The very people they accused us of being garbage people because we were wearing PPE before you were supposed to when the noble lie was put out that you're not supposed to use PPE. Frontline workers. They did flyovers with the Blue Angels. They're getting tossed. Most of them are because they have natural immunity because they got COVID. But what does it say if the freaking medical community, the people who believe science, they don't want to take that vaccine? What does that say? They probably already knew that there's aborted baby parts in it. Another liberal lie. People are not down with abortion. They want it legal, but they don't believe all the shit you do. That the threshold to become a woman is to kill your baby. That third trimester abortions after it comes out of the womb and you don't want it is okay. Because once again, they want depopulation. They want less people. The planet's dying, you jackass. This whole thing is by design. It's not a glitch in the matrix. It's what they want. They want us dependent on the government sitting at our house and doing what the fuck we're told. They don't want you to be a free thinker. They don't want you to have an opinion. They don't want you to go out and work for a living. They want you to keep voting for them forever, and they take control of the resources, and they all get rich. There was a thing on Nancy Pelosi. She's worth $350 fucking million. Nobody in the mainstream media does a story on that. How the fuck is she worth $350 million? Oh, she had insider trading, and they invested in shit every time. Those are the things you find out when the R is behind the name. You don't hear that about D's. And her very, she's done this numerous times. I've played it a million times. How they get Republicans investigated by floating fake stories and the media runs with it and then the FBI goes with it. Admonishing the press for not reporting the story and selling it. What the fuck? You think McConnell could do that? And Tucker nails it. That's why I played it in the beginning. The fear I feel knowing that the FBI works for the Democrats only scares the shit out of me. It pretty much says we have to live by the law while the IRS is looking at $600 fucking transactions because they're going after billionaires, which last time I checked, billionaires don't spend a lot of $600 transactions. They're spelling, spending thousands. Just throw it out there. I mean, just it's called math. Oh, math is getting decolonized. That was the thing I saw the other day. It's no longer going to be about absolutes and money. It's going to be about getting rid of, of white supremacy. Another college just did that. Yeah. It's all by design. 
They are the fascist. I say it every podcast. They were the fascist. Trump wasn't. Trump was just a mean tweeting jackass who, if he would have just put down his phone a little bit, he might have got through in some of those counties where Zuck Bucks weren't rigging the outcome. They will persecute you for wrong think. It's just think. It's not actions. It's no longer about doing something. You just have to think it. Because they want to control your thoughts too. So that wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share with your family and friends. And go to FOPPodcast.com to find this podcast and all the podcasts with links to SoundCloud and Rumble. We're going to do another one on Wednesday because now my schedule's finally set. I will have Wednesdays and Saturdays off because I have people. So the 20th of October, year of our Lord, 2021, will be our next show. It'll be more organized. I'll even have screens that work because something fucking went wrong with all this crap. I got to go delete it all and redo it. It needs an update. Make sure you disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah, yes. Tune back in. And y'all take care out there. Be safe. Don't think the wrong way.